All right, everybody, here is the second part of our discussion of films from 1984. No genre necessary. We're going to stick to anything we find interesting. So, Jacob, what is the first film we're going to discuss? We're going to discuss Muppets in Manhattan. Muppet babies were born in this movie. <laughs> exactly. This is the first time we actually see the Muppet babies live. Yeah, it's you know, a... They're singing such adorable little songs, little baby Rolf, singing Miss Piggy. It's so cute. And then they all graduate, and then later on they're graduating from college. Yeah, I uh, I saw this in the theaters. I saw it at the Quimby Theater, which is the only theater I seem to remember from when I was a child, because it was either the week before or the week after we saw Karate Kid um, in the next screen. Oh, wow. They were they were playing on the, I think there's three screens or whatever, they were, they were playing those two, and the, a chorus line, the movie, <laughs> which I didn't give a shit about. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't blame it. I mean... It's uh, uh, again, the musicals are usually better. Yeah, well, I might see it. I might see it. Uh, it had Michael Douglas in it, but uh, Muppets Take Manhattan is the at that time it was the big goodbye. They thought that they had run its course, and basically he was going to focus on television. He did for years, you know, with like the storyteller, and then he was doing like post production uh, stuff for like Labyrinth, and um, uh, he did the special effects of Willow, right? Yes, Jim Henson did have a lot of involvement with other films. Yeah. And George Lucas productions as and, well, and, yes. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So for about a decade there, uh, the Muppets were pretty... You didn't see them very much. I think there was a Christmas special in 87. Uh, 91, I believe, is Christmas Carol, maybe 92. And that was it. The Muppets were basically put away. Somewhat, yeah. Oh, especially... Um, uh, during the production of Jim Henson's Storyteller, yeah. like uh, Greek myths, anyway, and uh, Ninja Turtles 2, uh, Secrets of the Ooze. Right, I forgot that, that Fraggle Rock was during the 80s as well, so he was just focused on other things. I don't think he wanted to be pigeonholed to just the Muppets. And so this is his big yeah. goodbye. It's a little bit of a, a, a reboot, if you think about how the first movie went, because they act like the first two movies didn't happen, so they're restarting it all. Yeah, you're right. If you think about it, I don't. Huh. I don't like the Great Muppet Caper. I know some people who love it. Some people it's their favorite one. I'm not a fan of it. So this is a huge comeback for me because um, it's just more. Um, I think the songs are better. I think that it really cuts the fat that the, the Muppet Caper had, and just it's a very simple story about friends trying to make it. It all falls apart. They go in their different directions, and they got to come back together again. Absolutely. And of course, uh, I like that diner scene where it's like, "Oh, uh, what happened to your, uh, what happened to the uh, waiters and waitresses?" It's like, "Oh no, people didn't like having rats serving, so they're just back in the kitchen now." <laughs> I love when he invites all his friends. This is how we get introduced to Rizzo, who I believe is still part of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yep, he still is. He's still on um, Muppets Now, which is streaming on uh, Disney Plus. Is that any good? I haven't seen it yet. I've seen a few episodes and I actually enjoy it, especially the little um, the segments with the uh, Swedish chef, the little cook-off. They have like a guest chef each episode. <laughs> uh, Danny Trejo even showed up. Wow. And he, uh, yeah, I know. I was like, oh crap. Yeah, they're, they get a lot of people. They get RuPaul. They got Seth Rogen um, to show up. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I actually like it. Yeah, the Muppets are much beloved, but I think they needed to go away for a while for people to appreciate them. You know, I forgot, duh, also we had the Muppet Babies for like nine years. So it's not like, 
like I said, it's, he's just putting his toys away for a while. And sometimes you need to do this with franchises or you'll never miss them. If it's constant, look at Star Wars and it's just exhaustion. I feel like Marvel needs to take a break too, which they, they have. Um, but sometimes you can just wear people out. You need to go away so people can miss you. Right. I mean, as far as the um, Marvels, like they're definitely venturing with other characters rather than the core that we're used to now, like the Avengers and all that. Right. Yeah. Now we're getting uh, the Eternals. We're getting Shang-Chi. Uh, oh my gosh and we're getting all the series uh, on Disney Plus yeah it's uh, Disney seemed to abandon the Muppets after uh, Muppets Most Wanted tanked in the TV show just it couldn't find its footing I loved it but I understand why some people thought it wasn't appropriate for families because it was more like The Office um, I thought it was a blast and I guess they I didn't watch the second half yeah. of the, the show I guess they got nervous and they changed the format and then it just, it just got cancelled well, yeah, that and behind the scenes, I guess uh, Chuck Lorre, uh, the producers, like, were just kind of struggling in, uh, with uh, ABC and Disney, and I guess he just left. Yeah, but for me, this Muppets Take Manhattan is, uh, it's like every other one is good, because the original, of course, Caper, I don't care for, Manhattan's great, Christmas Carol, I don't care for, Treasure Island's great, Muppets from Space is okay. Uh, then the next Muppets is fantastic and Muppets Most Wanted is just okay. So it's kind of like the Star Trek movies except flipped. <laughs> Instead of the even, it's all the odd ones. Right, yeah. No, oh, Jason Siegel was a huge fan of Muppets and he had so much influence on getting that movie going and it was a huge success. Yeah, it's my favorite uh, arc in this is Kermit gets the show up and running and then he gets amnesia. And uh, just ends up with all these other frogs. This is Phil. This is the Gill. This is, you know, it's so ridiculous. This is Jill. Yeah, he's part of an advertising firm and he becomes Phil. <laughs> and he's like, What would I be doing with a pig? Suey, suey. And they should whammo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I like when um, uh, he's like jogging in the park with, um, oh, God. Is that... I keep forgetting. Who was it that he was running with the car? Was that I, I can't remember the character's name or the actress, but it's the girl whose uh, dad run the restaurant. Uh, very appealing. Both of the younger actors in this are very appealing, but I have no idea what they did outside of this movie. Hmm. Right. Oh my god. I don't know. To me, I thought I could. I was thinking that was Sean Young at first. I'm like, no, no, that's not her. No, I can see and then a I was similar like, face. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just like how they're like running, jogging in the park, and then. Piggy's trying to trail them. She's like, "Oh God, no, not jogging!" <laughs> she steals those roller skates from Gregory Hines, and of course, my favorite sound of all time in the Muppets is <laughs> yeah, every time. <laughs> it always gets me. Frank Oz as Piggy was just great. Oh my whoever, God. like whoever, whoever's doing the job now, like I think, really holds up with it yeah. as well. It's great. The the scene with uh, uh, Joan Rivers where she has a meltdown at the the uh, makeup counters. <laughs> Or Organzo in the in the stunt show. It's just so much fun watching them. The only story I think that fails is uh, Fozzie. He just hibernates and it's just awkward. And I was like, that's not really a good. I think it just adds up nothing to give him. I know, sadly. I mean, heck, I think that kind of plays to his character now because he's the awkward, lame joke kind of guy. But Why didn't they have him playing has... in the crappy comedy clubs? Why hibernate? Exactly. I mean, it's Fozzie. He lives to tell jokes. Yeah. And he almost... <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. I So that is the only downfall. But, yeah, no, again, this was a success. Like, what, $8 million budget and made 25.6? So yeah. like three times its budget. But if you look at where it dropped from part one, I think the first one was like $80 million. The second one 
uh, was the one that wasn't as well received. So that kind of killed the box office. Mob's Take Manhattan, though, is now considered to be, you know, a classic. But here's the weird thing is it seems to be the only one that Disney doesn't own. TriStar Pictures has it. I, I saw it on Tubi. Yeah, no, of course. I, I mean, I couldn't. I thought it was on Disney Plus, but yeah, I think it's because of a certain stream, uh, streaming rights. Yeah. So I'm uh, sure eventually it'll go over. Like the rights will switch over to Disney eventually. Yes, of course, because on Netflix, a lot of the movies on there are switching over to Disney Plus because they're letting the uh, streaming rights expire. Gotcha. What is our second film? Okay, it would have to be. Oh, this is an all-time classic. Joe Dante, uh, Steven Spielberg production. Uh, Gremlins. Oh my god, oh my Gremlins. God. The movie that took four years or so to hit video, we all waited with bated breath because it kept re-releasing it every spring break and every Labor Day. For years, that's what they used to do with these movies. It would take forever to come to video. So E.T., Return of the Jedi, and Gremlins took so damn long to uh-huh. hit video. And when I finally got to see it, I was old enough all my friends had seen it in the theater, but I wasn't allowed to see it because it was more on the creepy side. You know, it wasn't. It was right before PG thirteen was created because of this. Um, the moment oh, where wow. he's in the microwave melting is one that I'll never forget. Then neither will my parents. They let me finish the movie, but they were like, "Oh man!" <laughs> right. Yeah. Just the way it like played out. Of course. I mean, the, the watering thing didn't seem so bad. It was the feeding them after midnight, which turned them into actual monsters and gremlins. I mean, they're little shits when they're you know mogwise, but yeah. Why um, is this? Why is Gizmo so content, and and the rest of them are just kind of mean spirited? And I just don't understand what is the the body chemistry that goes on. Why aren't there other mogwai that are good? Well. It is kind of it is an interesting perspective and something I would have to look up, but I'm guessing, you know, because of his, you know, his Mogwai nature, he was probably taught to be peaceful, you know, from the shop owner. Yeah. So you think maybe when he was younger, he was up to no good and just happened to manage to get to adulthood, and these are just little brats. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you'll see him still like you know be an adventurous little self, but yeah. And there's a That's lot of was never, um, there's a lot of playing oh, with ahead. the rules. Like in the second movie, they start like, "What if you do this at midnight?" But then the food pops out of your teeth, and you know, or what if you're going through, you know, a fly zone? What if you're drinking um, something that has a lot of water in it, but it's not a water, you know, like you know what juice has water in it, uh, fruit has juice in, or uh, water in it, or whatever. I mean, what's the content that you need to make you know, because it destroys the entertainment value? Oh, absolutely. Oh, gosh, yeah. I mean, shoot. And then don't have too much of them. Look what happened in the second one. <laughs> that Key and Peele sketch. Uh, oh, man. I still have or to see that one. Oh, my God. You have to see it. Because everything they said about about their gremlin ideas all ended up being in the movie. <laughs> and it was just delivered perfectly. Yeah, I know people who don't like the but second yeah. one because it's too silly. But uh, I like both. And the first one has a lot more tension. It's, oh, absolutely. It's just a very black-humored horror film um, with wacky stunts. But I, I just... Uh, I, I love the fact that it's set in that small town. You know, on that back lot that they use... I believe it's the same one they use for, like, uh, Back to the Future and Monster Squad, a whole bunch of other movies that use that square back in the day. Yeah, it's Universal Studios. Uh, yeah, either Universal Studios or Warner Brothers. I can't remember, but I know that it was used again... That that set has another hook in it that's a small neighborhood which they used a lot for shooting, especially like Amazing Stories used it a lot. Yeah, and they universe, used it in the Burbs. So I think maybe it is Universal. Yeah, most likely. I think it is. 
Um, yeah, no, again, just, you know, he couldn't help. Also, like, it was a huge um, marketing uh, idea, too, just, like, you know, pushing out Gizmo because everybody wanted a Gizmo because he was so adorable. Yeah, I think I still have one somewhere around here. And Howie Mandel did that voice. He did? He did that voice? Was it very similar to Mommy? <laughs> yes, exactly. Of course. It's Mommy! <laughs> then, of course, Stripe, I don't know who made his voice, but he's like, Gizmo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, Glub, no. Glub. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, shoot. Uh, oh, yeah, and also, who else was in this? Corey Feldman is one of his early roles. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think he had just done TV before this, but he did this. Then Jason takes... No. What is part four called? The Final Friday. No, it's not called The Final Friday. What the fuck yeah. is it? The Final Chapter. That's it. Jason 4, the, or Friday the 13th, part four, the final chapter. So 84 was pretty big for him. And it endeared him to Spielberg, who hired him the next year for Goonies, and then he was just set. Absolutely. And uh, let's see, who else was in this? Oh, gosh. Um, his neighbors, his old neighbors, the one who was talking about the whole... Oh, the Futtermans, yeah, uh, Dick Miller. That's it, yes, Dick Miller. This is where I recognize Dick Miller. And looking back, comparing the two movies, this first one definitely was more dark-humored, and... I will have to say, uh, that scene with the old lady where she's like, oh, I hate Christmas carolers, and she's about to throw water on them, yeah. and then she like has a heart attack thinking they're demons. Honestly, <laughs> I couldn't help but get a kick out of that. I'm like, you know what? She was old. She was evil. She was so rude. Yeah, it's, it's such was... a dark sense of humor in this one, but I think the Futtermans have a better role in the sequel. I can't wait to talk about that one. But yeah. this one, of course, is focused on Zach Galligan, who I think this is his first movie. Uh, Phoebe Cates already been established with Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so Judge Reinhold. So this is kind of a big coming together for them. But it's so strange that it really didn't do anything for Zach Galligan. I want to know, I should look this up, was he in college at the time? And that's what slowed his career down because after Gremlins, and this movie made like 140 million dollars. It only cost, I think, 20 at most. And it did nothing for him. I didn't see him again until 1988 with Waxworks. So I wonder if he was in school. Yeah, I would think that would be the case. I'll have to look into it. But, um, yeah, as far as Phoebe Cates goes, yeah, no, again, she still looked the same. She, she looked, she had uh, aged a day. And then of we course, have, it was only like two years. Left. Yeah, and we have Hoyt Axton as his dad, country singer Hoyt Axton. Who played, I swear his mom was in another movie. I'm going to look this up right now because I feel like she was in another classic movie where she was a mom in, uh, I thought it was Karate Kid, but I watched Karate Kid recently. It is not her. Let's wow! Look at this. I type in Gremlins, and I get so much merch. I had a lot of the little figures from the second movie, but the first one, it only had I had the like uh, adaptation of it on tape and a couple of the smaller toys. But right now, you can buy a full size Gremlins Bandit for four hundred and sixty nine dollars. Wow! Yeah. This made, uh, it was $11 million is how much it cost. Wow. And Chris Columbus, famous Chris Columbus, this is one of his very first scripts, who would use the power from this to start directing with um, uh, Adventures of Babysitting. Right. Okay. Oh, God. He, and he was also involved with Goonies. He was one of the writers of that. Oh, man. Yeah, no, he was involved, yeah I think he was just like kind of rotating around Warner Brothers because that's all what he was doing. I mean, heck, he directed the first two Harry Potter films. Yeah. And let's not forget Home Alone. Miss Doubtfire. Oh, yes. 
He wrote the Goonies. Yeah. Did you say that already? I think you said that already. I did. Mrs. Peltzer, Frances Lee McCain. Okay, I'm going to see. I know she was in something else. Her scene at Christmas when she's fighting the tree, that that is one oh, of those, wow. when it just jumps on her, that is one of the most, like, setting in my mind horrifying things. Yeah, it is. There were some good horror elements in this one, like very surprising. Oh, she it was in was Back to the Future. Down. She was the mom. She's also the mom at Footloose. Holy crap, mom in the 80s. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, you're right. She was. She was um, Lorraine's mom. She was Marty's grandma. Are you fucking kidding me? She was Stand By Me. She was the mom in that too, Mrs. Lachance. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> wow. Yeah, 80s. Uh, yeah, she, the 80s were she very kind to her. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, no. Um, oh, gosh. I think there was another moment I was going to mention. Oh, yeah, that uh, scientist that uh, Billy goes to uh, at his school. Oh, man. Oh, Glenn Turman. Yeah, yeah. He was a he was a rising actor in the 70s. It never really broke for him, but he's so good in this when he's experimenting on the the Mogwai, and he has to take his blood, and he take, decides to get revenge on him later. It's uh, it, There's a lot of more tension in this. He uses a lot of the lighting that he used in The Howling, um, so his mm. tone is completely different than the second Gremlins. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, no. The second one I felt like was more of a. It was a. It was more satirical towards uh, sequels in general. Right. So I think it was like kind of an inside joke, and it, but it also had Christopher Lee had a great ensemble cast. Yeah. But the first and, one, the memorable scenes really, um, they're, they're darker humor, like the whole bar scene with the stripper gremlin, and they're all getting drunk and crazy. Uh, the the, oh, the yeah. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs scene. So there's a lot of like weird humor in it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And, but it's still, it's just almost immemorable. It's like the gremlins themselves forget that they have a heart and they start singing along and getting jolly with the Snow White. Yeah. <laughs> Those, uh, the gremlins were designed by Chris Wallace. Uh, Chris Wallace did not do the sequel because he was busy directing uh, The Fly Part 2. And he oh. is retired now. He only directed about three movies. He stopped doing special effects, but he lives up here in Portland and is always doing art exhibits and hosting uh, viewings of movies he's worked on. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. that's really cool to know. It's so funny, though, that in the 80s, if a movie was successful and it wasn't super expensive, you were guaranteed a handful of ripoffs. And Gremlins is no exception. It had Critters. It had Troll. It had Ghoulies. It had Hobgoblins um, and Munchies. I think that's all of them. Okay, now Munchies and Hobgoblins I, I did not, I've never watched, but Troll... And Critters, yes. Troll is terrible. I don't know why people love that movie. Uh, Hobgoblins is so ridiculous. It's on Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's the only way you can watch it. But uh, Munchies, <laughs> Munchies is a movie I saw quite a bit as a child because it was always on HBO. And it's a Roger Corman production starring Harvey Corman. Oh, wow. And I think in that one, they don't want disaster. They don't want to destroy things. They're really horny, if I remember correctly. They're really horny. Oh. <laughs> I think that's the plot of the movie. Oh, God. <laughs> what does munchies mean, then? What are they munching? <laughs> exactly. And the only way to stop them, I think, is with lightning or electricity or whatever. You turn them to stone. We're going to watch this movie eventually. I'm going to find it. Oh, wow. I'm going to... I'm already. Got, I got to. I got to prep my mind for it. Yeah, <laughs> Gremlins um, is a stone cold classic. Do not deny yourself seeing it if you have not. 
everything that Steven Spielberg gets his hands on, it turns to gold. God, Spielberg, if I see the logo of Amblin in the 80s, almost guaranteed gold. Maybe not so much in the 90s when he started getting more money and I think moved away from some of the ideas that worked so well for the 80s. Like, look on, Little Giants, really? Is that you really want to tell that story? <laughs> yeah, Rick Moranis was pretty much playing Steven Spielberg. Yeah, and then they threw that all away be... to do DreamWorks, so the Amblin logo went away for a long time. It's back now, though, thankfully. I get so excited. Remember when we saw Ready Player One? We saw the Amblin logo, and we're like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I know, and it was so, like, you know, high-tech and new, but still just, you know, true to the core of uh, that logo. Um, What is our next film? This one's one's actually more serious, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. James Garner in Tank. Yeah, it's sold as a comedy. Not a comedy. Not a comedy in any way whatsoever. It's not as dark as what we're describing, (laughs) because we're going to describe this movie. It seems really fucking bleak, like an exploitation film. But... Yeah, I don't know why they they categorize it as a comedy. Basically, it's a uh, rising up against the corrupt man, that kind of movie. It's uh, he's very exactly affable. He's very likable and affable and stuff like that, but he's not jokey. Um, he's just a guy who's hitting the end of his career, and he kind of doesn't give a fuck anymore, except for his own, you know, his family. But he doesn't care about this corrupt town that he just transferred to, and uh, basically blows off the corrupt uh, cops and the uh, was it the sheriff, right? Exactly, yeah. He pretty much, like, uh, he sees the sheriff putting hands on a woman. He stands up to the sheriff and beats the crap out of him. Yeah, and, and it's, it's all about the fact that they're running prostitution and drugs to this town, and they want the military to stay out of their fucking way because it's basically exploitation for them. They use the military for the money, but other than that, you mind your own business, and when he gets involved, that causes a rift between the military and the sheriff. Oh, no, of course, yes. And then the sheriff, like, they realize that he's untouchable, so they go after his kid and plant drugs on him, which was BS. C. Thomas Howell plays the kid, no less. Yeah, I don't think, I think it's his best performance. I think that he's a little too, ah, oh, gee, Dad, you know, that kind of performance. Yeah, too, too leave it to Beaver. Yeah. <laughs> too much like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, no, he definitely got better uh, in Outsiders next year, that's for sure. Actually, no, Outsiders was uh, right before this. Oh, it was? Yeah, it was four months before this. I think it has to do with the direction. Because Francis Ford Coppola and his group of peers in that movie were more natural. Uh, the guy who directs this goes a little too big on his performance. I don't think he just bothered to you know, calm him down and not play it so, oh, gee, shucks. Whereas, you don't have to tell James Garner what to do. James Garner knows exactly what to do, and he owns this movie. This, I mean, Shirley Knight's great, and, and I can't remember who the villain is. But there's James Cromwell as the corrupt sheriff, whatever. Everybody's pretty top-notch, but James Garner, this is his show. Oh, Absolutely. No, I mean, it's like, if he's not in a scene, I'm like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he uh, they, they take his son, they put him in a, a prison camp, and I, I can't tell or not. I know he got his ass beat, but did he get... Prison labor camp, yeah. Yeah, did he get what I think he got? No, he just got the crap kicked out of him. But there was that threat. They don't want to go that far. He talks about it. He talks about the threat of it. So, and the military's not going to get involved, so he just steals his tank. Well, it's his tank, but he can't take it off base, I guess. Is that how that works? Because it's technically still military property or something? Oh, no, it was his. That's why, like, the um, commandant, uh, you know, uh, or whatever whatever name is, like, you know, base commander, warden, uh, I I can't remember the terms, but, yeah, he pretty much just, he's like, well, it's his tank. He didn't take it. It's his. Yeah. (laughs) Because the sheriff gets all pissed off and tries to go after him and tells him to ring him in. He's like, I can't. It's his tank. He can do whatever he wants with it. Yeah. 
And then it just becomes a war between them, and uh, and the news gets involved. This movie is very similar in ways to Convoy. I don't know if you've ever seen that with Chris Christopherson. No, I'm not familiar with that well, one. Stone Cold Sorry. classic right there, because that uh, that is another one of those rise against the corrupt man. Uh, Ernest Borgnine um, hates Chris Christopherson's Ooh. guts. I can't remember why. He just hates truckers. And he's always looking to get them for tickets and setting them up for shit. And then he they arrest one of his friends or whatever, so they decide to form a convoy of these trucks and go rescue his friend who's been set up for a crime he didn't commit. And it's really fucking awesome. It's very similar yeah. to Tank, yeah. I know. That's what, that's one of the reasons why I liked Open Range, because it had that, uh, with Kevin Costner, because yeah. it had that same mentality. Yeah, but, so- um, yes, yeah, some of the moments in this, I was like, okay, definitely kind of felt like a canon film. It did, <laughs> yeah, I can see that, yeah. <laughs> Did you honk your horn? <laughs> no, 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 no! Don't mind that. Just a note, just a minor notification. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay, but um, yeah, just the way it played out, James Garner does absolutely own this role, and you're like, you can't help but cheer for him. But or you're like, when he gets hurt, you're like, oh no, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they go through hell to get to get uh, what to the state line. I think is what they're trying to do, or county line. Yeah, just so they can get bring attention to what the sheriff's doing, so that you know all eyes could be on him and people could bring him down from the outside. Yeah, I just watched this movie and I kept thinking the sh- the sheriff and the mayor or whatever. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's Trump and Pence right there. They're trying to hide uh, all this corruption and punish anybody who talks out, you know, fights against them. Exactly, and then there's people on the inside who are just like kind of helping those people. Yeah, like all the bikers. Everybody started stepping up, helping helping the, you know, pull the tank across the county line. Yeah, so they, like, the oh, fact they opened fire though, I was like, Jesus, these are civilians. Exactly, I know. I'm like, Jews, they give a shit and they really do their jobs well. Yeah, it's, it's kind of the last of this genre for a long time. I feel like uh, Thelma and Louise is along this line, but you know, the the corrupt man, the kind of the movie that would play to uh, roll. I can't say that word. Roll, roll audiences. Jesus, really? <laughs> you remember Thirty Rock, the roll driver. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean, man. The, it's so hard yeah. to say. Rural juror. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Rural. 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 It's, like, it's not like a dog trying to talk. Watch Zoe over here going, is there a dog in here? <laughs> <laughs> or a steel. Yeah. What, uh, what's okay. our next film? Okay. Uh, this one was also a serious one as well, but... And speaking of Chris Christopherson, he really did carry himself with, um, oh, God, Trent Williams. That was his name, right? Trent Williams, yeah. Trent Williams, Trent. I got him confused. I was in the ballpark. <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, this one definitely, uh, how it all played out, I thought it had like maybe a couple slow moments, but overall, I'm like, oh, dang, this is getting good. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of these movies that's been neglected, though, because HBO has a catalog of movies. In 84, they teamed up with TriStar. So they would produce movies for TriStar. They would put them in theaters. I think it was TriStar. Or Orion. Yeah. And then they would put it on video, and they could play it all they wanted on their cable stations because they own the home video rights. But the problem is, is they never really bothered to clean up any of their movies. Like, Three Amigos is the only movie I know that they cleaned up. This is still full screen. No matter if you buy a brand new DVD of it, it's still full screen. And it looks like a very big scope kind of movie because it's shot out in the desert. And it's kind of a Western, a modern day Western. Yeah, somewhat. That's exactly how I felt uh, when watching this. Um, so basically, it was about two Border Patrol uh, agents who 
uncover some, you know, old loot from way back when, decide to claim it later on, but there are some feds, you know, uh, Kurt Smith, who leads them and is pretty much the one behind this whole plot of why it was there in the first place, he's going to take these two out because they're starting to dig a little too, uh, little too deep into what's go- what happened. Yeah. It's, well, they're almost out of a job. They're told to plant all of these sensors out in the desert so it can be like a digital version of a, a border tracker, I guess, if you want to call it. And they're mad because, well, we do this, and the minute we're done, we're fired. We have no more jobs. So this sucks. And they find all this money, and they decide, fuck this, we're taking this money and uh, not telling anybody because we're going to be homeless. You know, we're going to be out of a job soon, so what do we care? And, uh, wow, is this is based on the book Flashpoint. I didn't know it was a book from 1976. Cool. Um, and, and then it turns out they're trying to find the roots of how they got this, how the money got there, the body got there, and they stumble upon. And I'm gonna ruin it here for you, people. And spoiler time. Uh, very closely connected to, or is about JK, JFK's assassination. Oh yeah, no, it was pretty intense. It was. I think this is what sparked a lot of uh, conspiracy theories, and you know, for sure. But um, yeah. As it all unfolds, like, oh, gosh, you could just tell, like, Chris Christopherson just, he really, he really goes all out in that final scene. Yeah. Final moments. Yeah, who were you, and why did I lose my friend, and stuff like that. It's, the fact that Treat Williams is, like, his best friend during all this, and they have, they they meet up with some girls or whatever, but for the most part, they're just, like, these guys just getting through life together. And when he loses him. I think that breaks him a little bit. And he has this badass showdown with Kurtwood Smith and his and his men, um, which is a, a hell of a finale. Oh, yes. Even as he's, like, injured, like, he manages to get the better of Kurtwood Smith and he comes up to him, slowly approaching him, you know, letting him know his death's inevitable. Yeah. And then he finally guns him down. I'm like, yeah, fucking kill him. And then, of course, Rip Torn, who's, like, their, throughout the movie, he's their superior officer. Um, he comes in and, you know, he actually was involved with that. Um, he actually was involved with that whole money heist. So he told uh, Chris Christopherson, take the money and run. Take the money and run. Because of, like, how deep and involved he is. Right. But you know so he's he sacrificing himself. They're going to kill. Um, oh, my God. Rip Torn. They're going to kill him. Rip he's sacrificing him. himself because of his his father... Uh, Chris Christopherson's father and Rip Torn were partners, and uh, you know, he really cares about that. You know, Chris Christopherson, it's weird thinking of him as a young man. <laughs> so, I mean, even then, he looked like he was 60. <laughs> Too much sun. <laughs> Sadly, yes. He has that old man look. But, yeah. hey, it still, he still, it still makes him look good to this day. Yeah, it's, it's not really – when I say it's a modern-day Western, it's also that mix of, like, mystery, noir kind of thing. So it's not, like, out-and-out action. There's a couple action sequences, but for the most part, it's a thriller. Exactly, a lot of detective groundwork, uh, uncovering a secret. Yeah, no, that's pretty. Like I said, it was very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, another one of those lost '80s movies you can find it on YouTube. We found it there for free. Yes. Next film. Okay, uh, uh, this one was a bit of a doozy. Another silly Steve Martin flick, but I was surprised it wasn't by Carl Reiner because it seems so much like Carl it Reiner. Does. I I was certain it was. What is it? Arthur Hiller or something like that directs the Lonely Guy. Yes, the lon- the lonely man. Yes, and it does play on the stereotype of the lonely man itself. And <laughs> I just love how it like starts off. 
He's he's coming home after you know um, of being promoted at work uh, for like writing greeting cards, I think, or like uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he gets promoted, and he comes home, he sees his girlfriend in bed, but he's like oblivious to the fact that you know <laughs> he's cheating, and he's like seeing it as like nothing. <laughs> and you are, <laughs> why? It's <laughs> so ridiculous. Yeah. He's just hella casual with it. <laughs> and so it's like, it's like, oh, before you leave, could you take out the garbage? You know, little silly stuff like that. <laughs> well, I didn't realize that Arthur Hiller directed so many great movies. But in the 80s alone, he directed Romantic Comedy with Dudley Moore, um, Teachers with Nick Nolte, which we'll discuss in the next episode, uh, Outrageous Fortune with Shelley Long, Hear No Evil, See No Evil with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. He had also done Silver Streak. This is a good director. Oh, wow. Yeah, Damn. I did not realize that. Holy crap. Yeah. Yeah, it has the same rhythms. It almost feels like it was originally set up for um, Carl Reiner, but it just it didn't happen or whatever. But, I mean, it's so... But last year they directed The Man with Two Brains, and this year they're going to direct All of Me. So it seemed like he was pretty busy, and All of Me, of course, saved his career. Uh, this was a flop. It came out at a really shitty time, like the last week of January, which is where you dump movies, uh, and it only made like $6 million. Yeah, wow. It's actually based off of an actual novel, too, called The Lonely Guy's Book of Life by Bruce J. Friedman. Yeah, it's uh, my only problem with the movie is the whole setup is he becomes famous for writing that book after a bunch of depressing you know, runs with uh, him and his best friend, Charles Grodin, who is gold in this. He is so mopey, it's ridiculous. Uh, without his wig. I was shocked that he took his wig off. I still, I did not realize he had wigs. Yeah, uh, if you watch Midnight Run, you'll see he has a really obvious wig. But um, he becomes <laughs> famous, and then he lives the high life. And throughout the movie, he keeps meeting this woman, um, played by Judith Ivy, who he falls in love with, but she doesn't want to connect to him, you know, on, on a deeper level. And they keep breaking up, getting back together again, breaking up, keeping getting back together again. And that's where I think the movie really hits the brakes. The first half is so silly, so fast. But once they get bogged down in, in, in this relationship, I don't think it works as well. No, of course not. Yeah, uh, the flow definitely gets disrupted. And, of course, Danielle keeps trying to come back into his life, his ex-girlfriend who at the beginning of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he still just, like, kind of puts her off. During his time, like, trying to find someone else after uh, breaking up and being thrown out, like, he comes up with like you know different hobbies to try and meet women like he goes around jogging he's like i'm not really actually jogging i bought this sweat from an actual sweat store (laughs) (laughs) oh my god or the thing that charles groden has that party with all the cardboard stand-ups just to keep him busy it's just so ridiculous (laughs) and even that cop who comes in about the noise complaint he's like actually i was wondering where you got these i was gonna by these myself i'm also a lonely man <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an entertaining movie but it's just it, i think there's a little hiccups here and there um yeah but it's it's it really was the last call for uh, uh steve martin he had so many flops in a row that i think people were trying to like ooh, let's, let's wash our hands of him because all of me the one that saved his career is not a studio film it was produced by an independent company called king's road entertainment and that's the one that hit big and just luckily he was able to keep going because we wouldn't have so many classics if uh, he ended up on TV like in 1985 on some variety show or something you know it just wouldn't have worked no planes, trains, or automobiles I'm so glad we did get that though 
So yeah, Lonely Guy was the was a wake up call. Like, come on, Steve, we gotta get it together, man. Yeah, and also You're don't release the Steve Martin movie in January. <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, don't. Um, Comedies don't belong in January. What is our final film? Okay, now this one I believe we've discussed before. Uh, sort we were of discussing yeah. franchises, but it was a classic nonetheless. And oh my god, did it spawn so many sequels? Yeah, well, we um, talked about the movie, but we did it in a way that we were actually talking about the cartoon and the movies that spun off from it. So we only got to talk about the movie for like one minute. And it, it definitely was a big movie for uh, Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, the Goon. Uh, at least the Captain. <laughs> the Goon. <laughs> From Party Down, oh God, hanging out with the Goon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it at the drive-in. Uh, no, no, sorry, hold on. I saw it on video. I was looking at a poster that said drive-in, and I, apparently I'm a simpleton, so I see words and they get locked into my brain. Uh, no, I saw it on video, so I was told to look away at certain moments. <laughs> um, but I just, I can't believe how massive this movie was. It was shot in Canada, I believe. Um, if it didn't, it had a lot of cast members from Canada. Uh, but it uh, it was made like for 4 or $5 million, Ended up making like eighty million. It just stuck around all spring long. If they had been released that summer, it would have been dead in the water. They probably wouldn't even be a Police Academy two. But they released in March or April. I can't remember. And uh, it just lasted for like the next three months, and it became this phenomenon that every single year you knew a new Police Academy movie was coming. Pretty much, yeah. Oh god, I just love the tagline. It's like the new police recruits. Call them slobs. Call them jerks. Call them gross. Just don't call them when you're in trouble. <laughs> well, it plays on the Caddyshack rules, the slobs versus the snobs. And we have all these goofballs going up against the uh, the more elite, uh, uppity, snooty guys, you know, like, uh, uh, not Lassard. Uh, what is, what the fuck is his name? G.W. Bailey's character, you know. Um, Catch and Reed. Oh, okay. I must be thinking of the sequels with Proctor and the other guy. Um but he's such a good foil, and thank God they brought him back to the franchise. I think he comes back in part four or five. But uh, but um, the franchise here just really launches with a lot of characters, and thankfully over the years they were able to whittle down some that, that really didn't connect to audiences. Right, yeah. No, because the next ones definitely did get a little bit more like ridiculous and out there. Personally, I enjoyed part four, though. Uh, oh, four. Yeah, four is the last great one. Six is okay, but five is garbage. Harris. That was his name, Captain Harris. Harris, thank you. E.W. Bailey is a character. But I'm thinking all the characters are coming in and out of this. Like, So Leslie never comes back because his story is complete. You know, they they bully him. They throw him in the water in that photo booth thing. And at the end of the movie, he kicks their ass. He feels proud of himself. So his story is complete. Good. Um, but then there's another character in there because the first movie has two leads. It's uh, Gutenberg, but also that George Ramirez guy. And I think that's his name. The one with the accent, he's really sexy, but he's faking it all. Um, yeah, the, character... one, the one who's getting all the women who has like all those different girlfriends. Yeah, his character is useless, and thank God they got rid of him because they took the few things that were interesting about him and gave it to Mahoney. Yeah, Andrew Rubin. Yeah, his character could uh, George Martin, I believe. Oh, that's it. Okay, um, I'm trying to think of anybody else they got rid of. Uh, but for the most part, they just they kind of just streamlined it down. And the only thing that bugs me is that uh, the female lead never continues. There's always a new female lead. It's like the James Bond rule. Pretty much, yeah. Kim Cattrall uh, was oh god, still lovely as ever. Um, yeah, she was in this. Uh, she was in this, and she plays Karen, and she was the one who kind of has a thing with Mahoney. 
Yeah, but she's also, I think, a stronger lead than Mahoney. I mean, that sounds like blasphemy considering he was in the next four films, but I feel like Kim Cattrall really was the co-lead and not the George guy. Absolutely. No, definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, no, Mahoney, of course, was like kind of like, you know, always losing his way, getting into trouble, needs to find his direction. And he eventually does, of course. Especially like after that fight, like if he was in one more, he was st- getting into so much trouble and so many shenanigans at the police academy that if he started one more fight or something like that, he he was gone. So he ends up like kind of, I mean, he ends up kind of taking the fall for another cop, so that guy doesn't leave. Right, Leslie. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. those guys never and come back, part- do they? The two snooty uh, racist guys. Oh yeah, the um, oh yeah, the one who served in the military and the other idiot, the one who called. Uh, Oh gosh, the one who pissed off Hightower, where Hightower. Um, oh God, that's holy shit! He deserved everything that came to him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I love that moment. I love when Hightower wasn't taking that shit. Even Harris is like, "Oh no." <laughs> yeah, Hightower gets a lot more to do in this than the sequels, which is kind of a shame. But they, I, it feels like they focus more on Tackleberry throughout the sequels as like the second or third. I believe so, yeah. Trying to oh, no, Tackleberry. Oh, dude, Tackleberry's the badass. Like, he's yeah. the one who's all gung-fu and But what I love about action. him is that through the sequels, he's the one in these outrageous situations, and he's kind of like, oh, shucks. You know, I, that, that's the part that I found amusing because David Graff is such a lovable guy. Sadly, rest in peace. Right. No, of course. I Yeah, I think I'm back on that. Yeah. Uh, we have Hooks. Um, Hooks is, uh, she gets to have her moment where she's like, freeze, dirtbag! <laughs> yeah, Hooks. Oh, yeah, no. Oh, man. Uh, Hooks was like an absolute sweetheart. But she will step up, like, when she needs to and just get in your face and scare the shit out of you. Yeah, and of course, she Michael needs- Winslow fucking made his career with this. He'd been in some movies before this, but this made him a star for a while. Oh yeah, especially with all the, <laughs> especially like pretending to be the loudspeaker, calling Harris to the office. <laughs> yeah. I love uh, when Harris gets uh, in the motorized motorcycle accident, and they're all watching him. He's like, "Here's your hat, sir," and they're all laughing or whatever. And then as he passes, he goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Again, no, seriously. Like he, um, Michael Winslow had to show up like pretty much almost everywhere after this movie, especially even in Spaceballs. Yeah. Like um, whenever like the radar's being jammed, he's making all the noises the entire time. <laughs> I believe he is the only one to be in every single iteration of this franchise because he's in the TV show for an arc, and I believe he did uh, stuff for the cartoon. So I, I I really do believe he is the only one that was in every single sequel and uh, spinoff. Yes, no, I mean, of course, like, this, like, made his career for sure. So, I mean, having his involvement did bring that authenticity. Yeah. And you can't replicate what he could do. It's so nearly impossible. My favorite sub-character in this is Fackler. Fackler fucking cracks me up. He's in the first two movies, then he disappears for a long... Well, he has a cameo in part three, but he disappears for a really long time. And when he shows up in part six, City Under Siege, I was so happy. (laughs) That, is he the, oh yeah, he's the one who's always accident prone. Like, oh god, his accidents are so life. ridiculous. He's trying to be helpful too. He's just such a screw up. 
<laughs> he is. He has Murphy's Law. It's like he gives off this particular disc- uh, aura where everything around him just falls apart. <laughs> he just throws that apple, right? He's just he's wearing that new suit or whatever. He just, oh, no, no, the, the other cop gives him an apple or whatever. He's like, nah, I don't want this. Throws it and starts the whole riot. And, and I got to tell you, I know it's a comedy, but that riot is terrifying. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, definitely. And they were all brought in to kind of quell the riot. Uh, but, yeah, overall, like a great cast of characters, and it really did hold up. And, again, it was definitely helped with Steve Gutenberg and Michael Winslow, of yeah. course. There's one scene in this that's always been kind of controversial, and I think upon rewatching it, I think they handled it in a good way. The da-na-da-na-da-da-da-na, the blue oyster, right? Is that what it's called? Or the oyster bar? I think so. But I think what, so, yeah. what they do is they don't go, ew, gross, gay guys, except for the two homophobes. Everybody else is like, we're cool with you. And they're not super fey like they always did back in the 80s. Like, oh my god, they're tough. And they can take care of themselves. They get into that fight with all the, the biker dudes or whatever, and they fucking handle their shit. I thought that was really progressive at the time. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah, especially back then in the 80s. Shit. I mean, so yeah, that one definitely did not like go over the top or go ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, so there's the only scene that's a little questionable in my mind is when he's ca- Mahoney's just casually staring into the girl's locker room. By the way, it would never be set up that way. Nobody would ever have a locker room with open windows like that. It's just not. It's a movie thing. But also, it makes him come <laughs> off as a real scumbag. Oh yeah, no. It's like if anything, I thought that would be Martin's uh, thing to do. See, that's what I thought too. That seemed like the the wrong thing. Maybe he got too much screen time because at the time Gutenberg was the one that was a name because he had just come off of Diner and um, it failed, but it was called uh, something like Miz- the Man Who Wasn't There. It was a 3D Invisible Man movie. Oh, okay. It was a flop. It's kind of hard to watch, but because uh, the 3D effects are fucking strange <laughs> in the 80s. But yeah, he was more the star. I wonder if they gave him more screen time. But um, of course, the other memorable scene is the podium scene. And George Gaines as Commander Lassard is so fucking amazing. Just, uh, everybody just uh, take a break, uh, have a cigarette or something. <laughs> <laughs> the entire time, and then all of a sudden Mahoney goes up to accept the speech, and like, what do you know? Hi, hello, what's your name? That final song, <laughs> that final sequence when they're doing roll call and they're you know showing off their graduation, playing that song called uh, "I Want to Be Somebody" is one of the most rousing moments. It makes you want to like, I want to be a cop. I don't want to be a cop, but I'm just saying that for that moment, you're like, yeah, I'm so proud of them. I want to be like that. You know, it's a uh, it's a really yeah. good final sequence. Absolutely. Oh man, um, yeah, it was definitely one of those feel-good comedies uh, throughout the entire thing. And again, I just, I just could not get enough of Gutenberg and Winslow's like shenanigans with uh, Captain Harris. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Hugh Wilson was the guy behind this, and he did not do any of the sequels. In fact, I don't think any of the directors uh, returned. They always did one entry. That's why I think it gets a little wonky in five because there's no real signature. Whereas Hugh Wilson, um, he would go on to direct some big movies. Uh, probably the biggest being the first Wives Club. But um, he created uh, WKRP in uh, Cincinnati. Um, I'm trying to remember. He did Russell's Rhapsody. Uh, those movies with Brendan Fraser. He did uh, Dudley Do-Right. And Dudley Blast- Do-Right, yeah. Yeah, Blast in the Past. And um, I'm trying to remember what the other big ones were. Um, oh, he did Burglar with Whoopi Goldberg. A lot of TV, though. Mostly known for TV. Down Periscope, Guarding Tess, 
and uh, sadly he passed away a few years ago. But also written by Neil Israel and Pat Proft, and we're going to see their names so many times over the next few years. Not all of them were successful, but they're big names for comedy. Dang. It's like, you'll, they'll, they'll be all over the place, but yeah. Well, so, here uh, we go. I'll just say it right now. He, they did Bachelor Party, High School USA, which yeah. is a great TV movie. Um, then they did Real Genius, Moving Violations, which you have to see. Uh, it's okay, but it's it's Bill Murray's brother who only was in one movie besides this called Scrooge. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, I Lucky, do remember the movie. Lucky Stiff, which is terrible. Uh, the Naked Gun, Hot Shots, Brain Donors, High School High, then it goes bad. Mr. Magoo, Wrongfully Accused, Scary Movie 4. <laughs> it's, it's, it gets oh, worse from that. They all involved Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, kind of. Well, if he, he even gets a green lit, why not? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a well, that's a bummer. I don't know. I did enjoy High School High though. <laughs> it, it, high School High is great. I love that movie. We, I can't wait to discuss that one. All right, so that yeah, is it for this chunk of 1984, Jacob. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I always enjoy this, man. All right, so we have one more chunk of 1984 movies coming up next, and uh, have a good night. All right, namaste and good luck, everybody. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes! Back in tunes. I don't know why I have to do an intro because you just heard it in the intro, you know, the little song they just played here. I don't know. And this is Jacob and Michael, and it's back in tunes. I don't understand why I need to do intros anymore. Let's just start the conversation. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? I'm doing just dandy. I've had plenty to drink. I'm recovering from sunburns. Oh no! Yesterday. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, tail end of summer. Is it still roasting us hot? It, it kind of cooled off last week up here. No, it's actually really cool. I, uh, it's not too bad. For some reason, uh, where I'm at, it's like 10 to 15 degrees cooler than everywhere else. That's weird because you live like affected. you live in the ass crack of Napa Valley, where it's just uh, you need to walk around with deodorant everywhere. Just you need to drink deodorant, put it on your shoes, <laughs> put it down your pants, <laughs> just smother it. Just to stay cool. smothering me in gravy, you dirty man. <laughs> I took a nap in mint, cool mint and menthol. I just need to stay cold. Uh, it is the end of summer uh, as you notice the box office it's complete shit I don't know if the movies are bad or not but you can always tell it's the end of summer where the studios just give up and there's always that one movie that sticks around way longer than it would have if it had opened a month earlier last year it was uh, The Hitman's Bodyguard which stuck around way longer than I ever expected and nearly made $100 million this year it's The Meg um which is surprising oh it's as big. It's going to break even, I think, next week, at least for the U.S. It's huge overseas. Uh, what didn't do oh, well yes. was uh, The Happy Time Murders, which I know this is an animation, but I always had that weird thing where puppeteering is almost animation to me because it's being manipulated. It's like, you know, a step away from claymation and, and marionettes and stuff like that. And So, I don't know. But right. it, I was surprised it bombed. Well, also, uh, 
it's weekend is like pretty much just a dumping ground. It's like, oh, whatever. We'll just slap whatever here. Yeah. But oh, again, Ken, it, I don't think. I think Ken is the big one that came out this weekend and made like $2 million. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't even hear of it until like I saw a commercial the other day. I thought it looked cool. Yeah. Awesome concept. But what the hell? Yeah. I mean, this is what happens when you, you know, don't really put the word out. I and mean, this is why Mask of the Phantasm failed. Yeah, there's certain movies. Well, well commercially. Uh, apparently, Lionsgate's Lions in deep trouble. They've been overspending, and their movies just aren't pulling in the money. They're desperate to build the company up and sell it off, just like the way Fox did with Disney. And nobody's biting. Mm. They just lost a huge China deal because they almost refused to focus on the China end of the, <laughs> the deal. Uh, you kind of need to do that if you want to keep getting money from them. Um, so they're, they're just going to go back, I think, to going... Uh, they're probably going to do negative pickups now. Instead of developing their own movies, you know where a studio develops its own film and, and makes it like the way Millennium did with Expendables or, um, oh yeah, oh Ardman does with uh, like Shaun of the Sheep and stuff like that for Early Man, movies like that. I think that's how Lionsgate they pay a small fee for a completed film and then they distribute it. It's the only way they're gonna stay profitable. Yeah, they're gonna have to stick to that because they can't get anything going. I mean, they tried to do that with Power Rangers last year. Yeah, and that, that failed. That cost a fortune. Although, I, basically, but as much as I can't stand the movies, Medea is keeping the house <laughs> lights on. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. At this point, uh, I mean, I liked when Lionsgate did a what um, waiting, you know. Back yeah, in the, but what, that was that was like the early days. See, that's back when they were doing negative pickups. It was after. Um, God, I want to say it was after Summit started breaking through and they decided to buy Summit with whatever scrap they could get together. And so basically they kept Lionsgate going. It was Twilight and then uh, uh, what's the other one? Um, Hunger Games. But right now they got nothing. Oh, wow. So they're going – I think they're going to go back. You know how um, during like Christmas and January they'll buy like an animated movie like uh, Norm of the North? They'll pay like $3 million for this little animated film and they'll make a decent profit off it. Right. Uh, well, oh gosh, as far as this holiday season goes, uh, yeah, no, it might be a mess. I mean, you've got Mary Poppins Returns coming out. You also got Into the Spider-Verse, the Spider-Man animated movie. Yeah, I think Sony. that's the one. What, what's, uh, Pixar have anything coming up? I don't think so. I'm trying I know to... there's, like, supposed to be, uh, what, little, uh, small feet instead of big foot. Oh, all uh, right. It's, be, it's got Channing Tatum, Channing Tatum where he's a Sasquatch and he goes and sees humans. Boy, I haven't seen him in a but while. anyway. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah, no, September 28th. Oh, so that's the only animated movie we have coming out. It seems like it's been a long time since there was an animated movie. This is kind of a, a pathetic summer. Somewhat, yeah. I don't know. I think what really took it was uh, Deadpool 2 and Avengers Infinity War. Yeah. And yeah. Ant-Man 2. I don't know. For some, I, I don't consider Solo a failure. I really don't. No, if it, it hadn't cost sense. so much, maybe. But I think it's – see, that's a problem with the success and failures is it's based on the budget and what studios expect out of it. I'm like, well, that's not fair. Especially when they released it a week after Deadpool and everybody's still in the Avengers type. Yeah, actually, I'm looking at the box weekend. office right now. It's so pathetic. Not that these movies are bad in any way whatsoever. That's not what I'm saying. But Christopher Robin has been out for, what, two months now? And it's still in the tops, you know, top ten easily. Incredibles 2 is at 11. And uh, it looks like Christopher Robin might be Ewan McGregor's big comeback. Incredibles 2 might be the – I think it's the biggest animated movie ever. $600 million. Oh, yeah. That's just, what, U.S. alone? Yeah, uh, Hotel Transylvania yeah. three um, is those movies are very successful. It always doubles its budget, at least in America. I don't know what it does overseas, but I bet you it's big. 
But yeah, no, but, and it's Genny Tartakovsky. I love, I, pers- I personally love the guy. Let's see. Um, yeah, it's almost at 500 million. So you know this will be a Hotel Transylvania 4. Plus, Sandler needs it, man. <laughs> He's not pulling in the box office like he used to. No, and uh, especially with his Netflix films, too. Yeah. Jeez. Oy. That's it on the animation oh, front. Okay. Nothing else. It's been a while, too. Um, Incredibles 2 was, what, eight weeks ago? Two weeks ago? Uh, no, 12 weeks. Holy shit. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Also, a uh, big weekend in December. Yeah, since uh, Star Wars isn't coming out oh, yeah, uh, yeah, this yeah. year. Well, I mean, it already did. You've got Transformers, Alita Battle Angel, and Aquaman coming out on the same weekend. Uh, that's a big mistake. I mean, Alita Battle Angel, I don't think anyone's going to be excited for it as much as uh, the other two. Because uh, not everybody yeah. knew what Alita Battle Angel really was. They knew it was a James Cam- uh, James Cameron had his name to it for so many years. And now Robert Rodriguez is uh, taking over the director's chair. And <clears throat> there's always a little controversy about how it's being whitewashed when it actually isn't. I mean, because they tried to compare it to Ghost in the Shell. Ghost in the Shell was clearly, uh, you know... A Jap- centered in Japan on a Japanese character, clearly Japanese character, Japanese name, everything. But then, of course, in order to sell internationally, they whitewashed it, they cast Scarlett Johansson, and it bombed miserably. That was one of the big factors. Yeah. But Alita Battle Angel, the original story, actually takes place in uh, the U.S., Can- the Midwest even, uh, Kansas, if you want to be more precise. But in this movie, they're changing it. They're, uh, I think they're sticking it to like Central or South America. Oh, okay. Uh, other than that, I mean, I don't. That sort of counts as an animation live action mix. Um, the only other animated film it looks like we really have coming, um, we, like you said, is Littlefoot. Uh, we have The Grinch. Oh yeah. Oh wait, I'm sorry, I forgot. Ralph breaks but the internet. Cumberbatch. What's that? Oh my god, that's right. Oh my god, you're right. Oh, I knew there was something else coming out in uh, Thanksgiving weekend, I think. Yeah, that's it. But I think the Spider-Man movie will do well. It looks unique. It has Spider-Ham. That's all I care about. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Miles Morales, Spider-Gwen, Peter Parker, and little Spider-Ham. Spider-Pig, (laughs) Spider-Pig. All right. Uh, So uh, that's kind of a look at what's coming up in the fall, what happened during the summer. So now it is the end of summer. It's time to go back to school, the most miserable time for me as a child. I would count down. Once uh, August hits, you're just kind of counting down the days. Um, so this episode, we're going to focus on cartoons that were set in high school and college. Um, the first one we're going to discuss is Galaxy High, which was an obsession for me and my sister growing up. Um, we always watched this, and I believe it got rerun with Teen Wolf for many years, even though Teen Wolf, I believe, lasted 30-something episodes. Galaxy High only lasted 13, and it was critically acclaimed. And I'm going to chalk it up to budget. It looks expensive compared to a lot of cartoons at that time. That's what I was just about to mention. I mean, the quality animation looked like it was uh, like one of those animated movies you see in the theater. It was like high, high priced, you know, flowed very beautifully. And nothing was re- nothing uh, was recycled like they would in a lot of animated shows. Yeah, which is uh, always, yeah, animation. brutal. Yeah, but... Again, I just, it was, you know, I had like a fun, upbeat, you know, uh, uh, intro. I thought the character development was, you know, pretty well done. You know, take this, take these two people off planet in a completely, you know, different, in a completely different environment, you know, beyond Earth means, you know, and it all, I, it just looked, it was just so fun. Like, of course, the main character, what's his name? Um, oh, gosh. 
Oh, hold on a second. I actually forgot. I watched this like two months ago in preparation that I never got around Doyle. to it. Doyle. Uh, yeah, Doyle. Yeah, Doyle. Uh, and Amy are the main characters. Um, well, I, was, I, I was looking at the details, and I totally forgot that John Kay is, uh, was a production designer. He did a lot of the character looks. Um, that's why I think it's the animation is just a little bit better, a little more, um, I want to say, dynamic. Right. I know, it definitely looked a lot more unique than I'd seen in anything else from the 80s. Yeah. I, also, love, uh, I love that they switched the dynamics of the characters. Not to use the word dynamic too many times uh, in, one, in one chunk. But, um, you know, Amy is the nerd on Earth, and she doesn't fit in. And Doyle, he <laughs> high school football rules. Um, he's, he's huge. Oh, God, you're... <laughs> I, I crossed over to Bill and Ted for a second. <laughs> He's got a huge ego. It's all about him. He's the star player, star quarterback, all that crap. But he doesn't do well in school at all. Even the teachers on that other planet called him out on it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, you don't get – it's like uh, – especially um, depending on, like, how well you did, like, your grades and everything, uh, you get, like, all these special perks. Like, uh, Amy gets this really revved up, new, beautiful, brand-new car, floating car, and he just gets this crappy little hoverboard that's, like, 37 <laughs> years old. Yeah, so <laughs> he's like, used well, to – yeah, he's used to the free ride and everybody loving him. And when he gets up there, it's completely different. They really embrace intelligence. Yes, there are sports, but it's all about intelligence. So the, the plot of the, the cartoon is that there's two kids from Earth selected to try out this whole new school where everybody from the whole galaxy comes together. It's almost like a Star Trek idea in a way because it's about unifying the galaxy so that they don't go to war, that we all understand each other, there's no xenophobia. Really progressive idea, which we could really use right now in these apparently extremely xenophobic times. Oh, God, yes. That and also just the concept itself, like these kids just like go like, I don't know. It didn't seem like it was kept secret that, you know, these kids just go into another like uh, a different planet. You know, and, and interacting with all these like different species of uh, life, mm-hmm. far more intelligent too. And I did like how they mentioned that it's like, as far as like the male to female ratio, it's like yeah, there's like three to one. Uh, uh, the male to female ratio is like three to one, so males aren't that special. <laughs> Which is why Amy was getting all the attention, and yeah. nobody had ever seen a, a human Earthling. Uh, so, yes, I did like how they uh, were a little bit more focused on Amy. And the tide has turned. Like, he's, like, not getting attention. He's still trying to prove himself. He does at the end of the first episode. And then he actually does try to make a move on Amy, but Amy's just, like, plays a joke back on him, which was awesome. It's always kind of good to see that shit, like, uh, kind of hit him back in the face. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> the company that runs uh, the show is TMS Entertainment, which not a lot of people know. This seems to be an amalgamation of different companies that was spread out. Uh, they would do animation for other companies. Um, they own some stuff. They're mostly Japanese-oriented. Uh, the company who owns TMS is actually Sega, of all people, which shocked me. And oh, wow. uh, Yeah, so they did the Sonic uh, cartoon that we loved from 93 to 96. They did ALF, Kissy Fur, Dennis the Menace, The Real Ghostbusters, which is why you can look at this and look at Real Ghostbusters and see that it's really high-quality animation. Oh, okay. Yeah, they yeah, did. No, it definitely seems somewhat familiar. Uh, the Littles, Rainbow Bright, Heathcliff, Here Come the Littles again, uh, another version of it, Care Bears, Inspector Gadget. Um, well, that's weird because I know Inspector Gadget from, oh, because they worked for Deke. Okay, I got it now. Mm, okay. Just like a little minor licensing uh, partnership. Yeah, so, and Warner Brothers went out to them too. They did, uh, 
Tiny Toon Adventures, Batman the Animated Series, Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain, Superman, um, Wacko's Wish, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, and the last thing they did oh, for wow. DC was Superman versus the Elite. Oh, oh god, yeah, no, that was a good one. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, so they're basically a Shoot. company for hire. Some stuff they owned, um, so most of that was Japanese. Uh, I'm trying to look at some of the games they did here. The Adventures of Batman and Robin, which is one of my favorite uh, Genesis games. Oh, I love that. Uh, Lupin the Third, uh, which is big uh, for an anime fan, you like that. Gogo Thirteen, Space oh, Adventure yes. Cobra. So those are the stuff that they would own. Little Nemo, Adventures in Slumberland, which was supposed to be a big movie in 1989. I think it just got dumped. Oh my God, I loved Little Nemo. I, I've never seen. I it. almost thought, dude, I almost thought it was a Miyazaki film, but um, you definitely need to watch it, Michael. Okay. Oh. Pardon. Speaking of DC, did you end up watch? Did you ever get a chance to watch uh, Death of Superman? Uh, no, because I don't have the internet really. I mean, I, I barely have the internet. Oh, okay. I'm using. Okay, so I don't think the company knows this, but I ended my contract um, three weeks ago, and uh, wow. but I, I put it on hold, and they said you can hold it up till I think I think it was six months, and they left their. Uh, you know how. Uh, they have the shared networks. Like, you have your own, but then it has, like, open Wi-Fi. Well, the open Wi-Fi is still open to me, but for some reason, I can only use my computer on it. I can't use my TV. I can't use my phone, uh, but my okay. computer is still locked into it. So I'm like, shh, I can still use it. Yay. It only costs me five bucks a month. <laughs> okay, good. Well, I don't know. I have anything. Well, I think it's because out of a necessity kind of deal. Yeah. Like, you know, people need to have access to this in order to, you know, Regarding applications and emails and you know important documents, all 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 such all such nonsense. But yeah, uh, when you get the chance, let me know. You'll, I'm hope I'm hoping you'll love it. Oh, I could probably watch okay. it. Actually, I just realized I watch it on my uh, Voodoo um, account on my computer. Uh, another thing I want to mention is that Chris Columbus is the guy who created all of this. This is, yeah. I want to say he did this between uh, Gremlins and Goonies. I would want to say that, yeah, because uh, this cartoon came out in 86, so it's possible. Yeah, well, I mean, it takes a long time to do the cartoon as well, so I'm going to guess it's that, or that, or it's between uh, Goonies and um, Adventures in Babysitting, which was his first uh, directorial effort. Right, and they all came out very successfully. It does, he, again, uh, every single one of Chris Columbus's films always has, like, this, you know, fun, like, magnetic, uh, what's the word, not energy, but... Uh, not force, but um, oh, positivity. Gosh. I don't know. Upbeat. There's a, yeah. Up, I mean, upbeat. But no, I'm like, I'm just saying, like you know, something instead of energy or force, ambiance, uh, aura, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, he, he, there's this like, particular magnetic attraction to his films. Um, the way he uh, presents these characters, you know, really goes into their like goes into their depth, and nothing's too mellow, nothing's too melodramatic, nothing's too down. It it. it uh, it's definitely upbeat and just so fun. Yeah. Apparently he was trying to make this into a live action film about uh, 20 years ago. And I would have loved to have seen it because, you know, CGI was better. He could still do it now. I can imagine that'd be, hell, special oh, yeah. effects are so affordable that like, you could almost do this as a TV show. Netflix or Hulu. Yeah. Uh, or, one of those. Or Amazon <laughs> or Voodoo or Doodoo or Roodoo. Roku. A Voodoo, Hoodoo, Doodoo, Doodoo, Doodoo. <laughs> um all right yeah so that that's one to check out all the episodes are up on youtube um uh, it's not really one to go in depth because there's not like a, a continuing storyline you know like no arcs it's just kind of pop in for an episode and move on with your day you're good it's it's really enjoyable but i remember watching it quite a bit as a child 
Right. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. I uh, went back and watched it a couple times uh, once uh, you mentioned it to me, and I had to look it up. Again, I just loved how different it was every episode. You don't necessarily need to watch um, like any episode in, in a particular order. You can just get it right then and there. I mean, yeah. come on, it's got the intro just tells you the whole uh, beginning of it, right? That's all you need to know. <laughs> it's so unique because during this time period, this is when um, Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears were basically owning Saturday mornings. And it was getting really tired. You know, and that, that particular look was getting old. They were regurgitating cartoons, like editing them, adding new stuff to it. And just nothing was fresh. But CBS decided in 1985 that they were going to reboot their Saturday, or, yeah, Saturday mornings. And I believe what it was is uh, started Galaxy High at 10. Teen Wolf at 10.30, Wildfire at 11, and then Pee-wee's Playhouse at 11.30. I might have that flipped. But uh, as Pee-wee uh, Playhouse got more popular, that, I believe, got moved to the 10 o'clock slot. And um, even for a while, I think it went for an hour. But they would kept pushing wow. Teen Wolf and Clone High further back. I remember seeing those afternoon, you know, which is rare for cartoons to be oh. on afternoon. But when they brought in, I don't know if you remember this or not, Ernest had his own TV show called Hey Vern, It's the Ernest TV Show. That was put between Pee-wee's Playhouse and reruns of Galaxy High. And sometimes they would flip it out with a Galaxy High and then um, Pole Position because both were very popular but expensive cartoons that they couldn't uh, get more cartoon or episodes going. I know, and it is a damn shame it had to end like that. But, like I said, I would love to see Galaxy High come back. Yeah. You know, oh. like I said, Chris Columbus, if you've got, if you don't, if you're not working on anything else, just come back and do this, man. Totally. Um, I forgot, there was another show after that, and sometimes that was the one that was afternoon. It was called CBS Story Break. Um, ABC had a very similar show, um, it was, um, ABC Animated Specials, hosted by OG Readmore, where they would take kids' books and they would animate them. CBS was nowhere nearly as popular. I think they did about 15 episodes. I cannot remember who was the original host, but I know the second time when they repackaged it about 10 years later, Malcolm Jamal Warner was the host. Oh, wow. i got to find some of those. They're very hard to find. There's not a whole bunch of them out there, but um, I think you would enjoy them. Right. Also, you have to look at the voice cast, too. Uh, Nancy Cartwright, uh, Cartwright from uh, Simpsons fame. Yeah, yeah. She was in this. A thousand I, mouths. I was like, oh, so... <laughs> oh, no, like so many, <laughs> again, so many familiar voice actors that really came through in this cartoon. Uh, you also got David Lander. You also have, Oh, yeah, um, Squiggy, right? Right? Yes, of course. Hey, Levine. Uh, Pat Carroll, Susan <laughs> Blue, and, oh, yeah, Frank Welker. As, uh, uh, yeah, we should, Frank. I don't think we've ever gotten an episode of Frank Welker showing up. <laughs> <laughs> no. But you can't hate the guy, though. <laughs> no, no way, no way. He's a master. Uh, theme music by Come Don Felder, who was a guitarist for the Eagles. Uh, Eagles are now officially ah. the highest-selling single album band of all time. The Eagles' they, greatest thriller. hits passed Thriller uh, last month. I know. I was surprised. I was like, holy crap. That's nuts. Oh, man. I mean, yeah. shoot. Michael Jackson, you know, held that position for, like, what, ever. That's pretty ever. epic. The only, the only problem I, I have with it, I have no ill will for the Eagles in any way whatsoever. I think it's still safe dad rock, which I can't get into. But my problem is, is you know, you know that there's white supremacists out there right now enjoying the fact that the Eagles are more popular than Michael Jackson. Like, oh, thank God, a white man beat a black man. Like, no, that's not what I want you. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, no, no one gives a shit what you think, you Nazi assholes. Yeah. 
Uh, our second cartoon is Clone High, another one that I was obsessed with that I watched over and over and over. Very short-lived, very expensive. MTV was believing this was going to be the big breakthrough for them. Oddly enough, it was going to be the Spider-Man cartoon that they did, where they took... um With the Patrick Harris? Yeah, that one was much more successful, kind of expensive too. I don't know why they ditched that one, but I heard it was a huge ratings hit. Yeah, I don't know why either. I thought um, I thought it was like a kind of a continuation of the first film. Yeah, and they had all sorts. Of, they had a lot of guest voice actors. They had Rob Zombie come in as Kurt Connors. Nice. And he did beautifully. Yeah, even all the snarls and the growls. That was all him. No special effects. <laughs> Clone High uh, was uh, basically Phil Lord and Chris Miller's first breakthrough. I, I think it's the first thing they really did that uh, anybody noticed. You know, and who knew oh that the God. show would be canceled, and then it would take them another, what, six years to get uh, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs going? But they did a beautiful job. And look where they are now. They were fired by Disney because Disney doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. Because they should have known that they were uh, groundbreakers, you know? They don't do cartoons and movies the same way anybody else does. So stupid. No, they don't. I mean, as far as the, uh, well, as far as creative differences goes for Solo, they were trying to make Solo a little more slapstick and... A little more silly. Yeah, well, they should have known like, better, eh. man. Disney, yeah, they should have. Disney should have known what their filmography looked like, and they're the guys that are hard to control. I still say that DC should have grabbed them for Flash. It's so stupid. Yeah, although they, they did get the uh, directors of uh, Game Night with Jason Bateman and, um, oh, gosh, why am I blanking? Regina oh, right, George right, from right, Mean right. Girls. Yeah, the kid who was in Free Elizabeth, uh... Yeah, no, those two are going to be directing the Flash movie, and it's actually going to start uh, filming in February. Okay. Um, I'm looking here, and this is when MTV was really gearing up big time for animation. I didn't realize how many animated shows I missed. Um, And we'll try to dig them up later. So they had done uh, Celebrity Deathmatch, which was a huge hit for them. Cartoon Sushi, which did okay. Daria was a big hit. The Max was a cult following. Uh, The Brothers Grunt bomb. The Head bomb. Um, so they're kind of looking around for something new. Downtown was really good, but it only lasted one season. I don't think you've even heard of that one. Yeah, no. I, I mean, as far as the head goes, I thought that was all part of the oddities. I, it was part of that whole energy. Yeah, yeah, walk. yeah. It's with the Max. Um, Station Zero, which I've never even heard of. Apparently never lasted of one either, season. But... Spy Groove, I've never heard of that one either. That was all at the same time. 2000 and 2002 was their big adult animation. Like, you know, that's when everybody was getting into cartoons. Um, they did one right. called, okay, so Clone High, Three South, and Undergrads all debuted fairly close together. I'm a huge fan of all three. You weren't so much. <laughs> uh, I, I loved Clone High, honestly. It yeah, yeah. Really, it made me laugh my ass off. I was so, I mean, it only getting, uh, what, how many seasons? What, one, two? No, Clone High was only 13 episodes. I, I believe that they were prepping uh, for a season two, but MTV for some reason failed. I know, again, they look. They, they made uh, stupid decisions like they did, like like Fox Animation does, or like Fox or what Fox does. Like they have all these great shows and they flush them all down the toilet after one season, and then you know so, sometimes you know they either come back as a movie or come back as a series on Netflix, and hence Serenity. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking at this. They're trying to revive the show, but they just can't get it going because the rights are all over the place. Canadian company produced it for MTV, which is owned by Paramount. They have deals with different studios. Um, and then oh, Bill, Bill Lawrence, who did um, Scrubs, uh, has a deal with another company. So they just try and get everything together. It's just it's become a pain in the ass. Um, yeah. 
Oh, it is on disc. Again. Okay, okay. So the, the, all 13 episodes are out, which is good, with uh, a decent amount of special features. Uh, so the plot of this one is, in the future, we have cloned... Actually, no, I think it's set It's set at the time that it, de- it aired. Um, it was about uh, how they cloned all the famous people through history, and they have to, you know, raise them just like any child. And so we catch them all in their teenage years, being awkward as hell, and uh, well, except um, John F. Kennedy, he's a real tool. <laughs> <laughs> I know, seriously, I'm like, oh, God. Honestly, uh, the way they try to come off of the, the Bostonian accent, that was, of course, Chris Miller who did the voice. Uh, it, it came off a little too uh, Australia, too uh, strong of a, uh, of, a, of a hint of Australian. Yeah, it's, it's it's unique, that's for sure. I don't know anybody from Boston who actually sounds yeah. like that. Well, nobody sounds like the Kennedys really in Boston. They sound like a mixture of like British and Boston slapped together. Right. Now, I want to say, oh gosh, who else do they have? Yeah, they have like a quite the cast. They have Will Forte. They have Michael McDonald from Mad TV. They have Nicole Sullivan. Yeah, what I love uh, about Donald Michael, Mc... on, Michael McDonald plays Gandhi as kind of a sleaze, and he cracks me up because it's the exact opposite of Gandhi, which is, like, maybe the pressure of being perfect was uh, too much, and he snapped one day. And then Abe Lincoln, he's our main, he's our protagonist. He's uh, he's really entertaining, but he's not the funniest one. Will Forte's really great. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, he's definitely, like, your, again somewhat typical protagonist you know trying to fit in trying to be accepted trying to be the cool guy trying to get the very popular girl instead of realizing you know like your regular team movie where uh your your best friend uh turns out to be your uh biggest crush slash right mom. right nicole sullivan from mad and, tv playing uh joan of arc who's the love interest who doesn't get noticed <laughs> I know, unless she does something outrageous, like, you know, trying to help out with the community. Uh, in the first episode, she tries at the suicide hotline and all that, and she yeah. has Gandhi try and help her out, and Gandhi just ends up fucking that up. The, um... <laughs> oh, God. What was I oh, saying? Uh, it's a parody of a lot of... This is during the big teensploitation era, too, when Dawson's Creek was huge, and Roswell, and Popular, and... All sorts of, you know, and I think uh, 90210 had just ended. We have all those movies like She's All That. So we're just overloaded with teen. But it's kind of at the end of that run. Um, so it's perfect time to spoof all of it. I mean, this this came out right after Just Another Teen Movie. Oh, that's right. Not Another Teen Movie. You're right. Or Not oh, Another crap. Teen Movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, what, 2001, 2002 is when it came out. I yeah, think. it was Christmas of 2001, and this debuted a few months later, I believe. And so it's really ripe, and it's it's these guys, Lord and Miller, man, they know exactly what was going on in the zeitgeist at that time, and they utilize it so well. It parodies reality shows, it parodies all those WB shows, you know, all the movies that were coming out, and then there's a lot of music in this. I'm actually shocked. They must have knew that it was going to be on DVD and signed on the rights because it's shocking how expensive this would be if they hadn't. Oh God, no. Course. I couldn't even imagine. Jeez, uh, like, would it, even, would it even gotten past the pilot because it's so expensive? <laughs> but still, I'm so Whoa. glad. It, uh, it's what's up your phone? One season. Dude, what's up your phone? It started to pop like crazy. Okay, what about meow? <laughs> That's worse. <laughs> hold on. Okay, hold on. It's a pausing for temporary break. Everybody poop if you need to. Okay, we're back. Y'all, y'all done? Did, did you wipe properly? Did you wash your hands? Okay. <laughs> and you use sanitizer don't forget to sanitize <laughs> I love it when uh, Scudworth Principal Scudworth t- tries to be cool 
which he's constantly doing and kind of losing his mind along the way. It reminded me a lot oh, of yeah. um, uh, Can't Hardly Wait. Um, Seth Green, when he tries to be all hip-hop and stuff like that, but it's truly embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I know, especially with his stupid little freaking hair. <laughs> um, he had to have those little dreads in there. I can't remember the uh, little butler in it, but he, um, for some reason, the way he says certain things cracks me up. But uh, I think it was episode three where he's like, Hello, Wesley. And I, I will say that to people at work, and they have no idea what the hell I'm tell, uh, talking about. I'm not going to tell them. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I will say, there were a lot of guest uh, voices, too. Like, uh, let's see, Dan Patrick, uh, Luke Perry, Mandy Moore, Marilyn Manson, and Tom Green. Even Michael J. Fox was uh, one of God, uh, <laughs> the voice of Gandhi's kidney. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know if you had got to that episode. I remember that, and it's like, I don't remember him being there. I had to look it up. It's like, oh, okay. Wow, man! But still, Donald Faison, like he put, a, he took on a lot of characters: Toots, Wally, George Washington Carver, Jimi Hendrix, King Kwanzaa, Martin Luther King Jr. Damn! Well, I'm just no, looking he, at this. It was ditched by so many companies. Touchstone didn't want anything to do with it after they looked at the development. Fox didn't want it. They purchased the show, but immediately decided not to order the series. <laughs> just, ouch! It's so easy to send it over to MGM or not MGM, MTV. And uh, $750,000 budget isn't much for a network, which I'm shocked at Fox didn't just pick it up. That's kind of expensive for a cable station. Uh, this is kind of a bummer, man, because that was, it was a really good cartoon. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, yeah, Andy. Oh, God, especially what, what uh, Mr. Sheepman. <laughs> He's an actual sheep. He was the first clone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was Andy Dick, right? Yeah, that was Andy Dick. Oh, Come on, everybody. You better start chewing on my own ah. coat. Arr, arr. Hi, I'm a weasel. <laughs> the uh, I noticed that the design of the characters was kind of retro, you know, because we were discussing like Terry Tunes and UPA and stuff like that, where it was really clean but odd, like odd angles on the characters, uh, like stylized. They they pulled some of that with uh, uh, Clone High. It's kind of retro in its look. I know that's what I liked about it too. Is it's unique. Uh retro kind of twist i mean you even look at like uh joan of arc and how her uh like how her body is <laughs> flathead yeah, how it's just all like tangled and <laughs> flatheaded and uh yeah just like in a uh, dick tracy flatheaded and it's like you know kind of like edged back and then the same thing with like cleopatra oh my gosh that first episode though excuse <laughs> me <laughs> the part the beer at the party was non-alcoholic so <laughs> the beer has gone bad throw oh, wait that's from can't Holy wait never mind um, so at the same time, another Canadian company, Canada was a really big, uh, developer of these non-action cartoons. I don't know why, but they were doing a lot of like, uh, stuff that MTV and Comedy Central were doing. The follow-up, no, no, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I forgot. Undergrads was before Clone High. Undergrads, if I remember correctly, I might have this wrong. MTV was running a contest to develop your own cartoon and whoever delivered the best pitch would be picked up for a series. And I believe Undergrads was done on like a nothing budget by some college kids, and they picked it up, and that's the only thing they've ever done. They've never, and I, I truly believe that the guys who created this have never created another show. Sad. Yeah, no, I haven't seen anything else like uh, in the style of Undergrads at all. Yeah, it's very unique. I, I, I like the clean line look of it. It is a little bit cheaper, almost like Flash animation, but I like it. Yeah, no, like I said, it definitely looked a lot cleaner I, um, as far as animation goes. 
Uh, Cal, oh god, I wanted to punch Cal in the face. I want to punch most of these Here's the thing is, I like the cartoon, but um, I don't believe that they would ever get together. I just don't. They, they're so wildly different. It's it's kind of contrived. But if somehow he makes it work, my favorite is Nitz. No, not Nitz. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 Gimpy, the, the really crazy bug-eyed nerd who's always in his lab or his room or whatever oh, you want to call yeah. it. I almost I wanted to call him Simeon for some reason. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's. Uh, Nitz is the the middle guy, the average Joe, and who's extremely bland. I'm not a huge fan of his character. Um, he reminds me of my roommate Matt Schroeder, uh, who was really dull and bland, and frankly, looking back, kind of racist. He was a spoiled rich boy who dressed just like Nitz. And uh, I think that's why I don't like him, even though I know he's a better character than Rocco and Cal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yeah, especially Rocco. Rocco is just a, oh, my God, <laughs> your stereotypical, like, you know, freaking testosterone. Hey, hey how's it going, dudes? Yeah. Really drink some beers? <laughs> hey, yeah, yeah, alpha, alpha. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, yeah, Cal, like... the way that Cal talks. Hey, guys, how's it going? Oh, look at these pretty ladies. <laughs> oh, the pretty ladies. Like, he's the one who gets all – like, Cal's just that one guy who knows and gets along with everybody, you know, but is just so airheaded and somewhat dumb. Yeah. You know what I know? Yeah. And then Gimpy's, like, your stereotypical, like, you know, angry nerd. Yeah, but he's got his shit together. He's the only one who yeah. completely has his act together knows exactly what to do. Every time they get in trouble, he always has the plan. Right. And then <laughs> – except for that first episode where he tries to get all those uh, nerds. To save Rocco, and then the nerds end up having fun with the frat boys. Then he's like, "What the hell? They joined the dark side." <laughs> <laughs> Here's the weird when thing: is I don't get. Um, so clear, a Cologne High cost seven hundred fifty thousand dollars with some real names behind it and some high quality animation and songs. Now undergrads, there's no names whatsoever in this. None. These are all out of nowhere. There's hardly any music used except for the theme song by Good Charlotte, which honestly I thought. That the song was by um, Newfound Glory, My Friends Over You, and I've had it wrong this entire time. Uh, so I'm, I'm surprised that they did cancel it. I know they moved it over to Comedy Central because Comedy Central was trying to compete with Adult Swim, I want to say in 2003. And they were trying to save undergrads, and it did okay, but just not enough to keep the show going. Sadly, no. Yeah, personally, for me, uh, again, I couldn't get into undergrads. Well, I got into it a little bit, but no, not as much as I could the previous two. Clone yeah, I mean, we are going down in quality a little bit from the previous two cartoons. Yeah, but the good God, Clone High, freaking, <laughs> freaking Gandhi. It's, it's uh, kind of Gandhi a bummer. Always... It's kind of a bummer they cannot get this show going again. This guy really needs it, or why he just doesn't move on to another cartoon. Um, but they've tried doing a Kickstarter, I believe, right now. It's on Facebook called Bring Back Undergrads. It started on June 3rd, no, June 3rd, 2018. And uh, he said, oh, no, it hasn't been launched yet. The Kickstarter campaign is being put together now. So it can't be that expensive. I'm going to guess it was probably $500,000 an episode. And hypothetically, you could do the movie for a million. Hypothetically, on a very tight budget. Oh, yeah, no shit. Yeah, I bet. But as far as it goes, like, you know, would people be interested in that kind of animation now? Yeah, well, no, it has a huge call following. You have no idea. I've been looking online. 
there are people that do cosplay of this. The show was on for 13 episodes 16 years ago, and yet there's still a strong call following, and people like want to be these characters. It's amazing. Damn. Well, I will say, oh, you know what I also noticed? Uh, they're, like All the characters are voiced by the same guy. Yeah. Pete I mean, Williams. That had to save money. But that also has that hometown. It's like, he's like the uh, uh, Dave Grohl of animation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no. yeah shit. That, that actually is a pretty good analogy right there. Shit. <laughs> Um, the final oh. cartoon of the MTV run is called Three South, which for some weird reason I thought aired much, much earlier. I thought I had seen it my freshman year of college, which was 1995, and I was way off. It was eight years later. Maybe it just reminded me of my first year of college because it's these two idiots. I mean, seriously, the dumbest of dumb going to college and uh, somehow tripping their way through it. They, they, they are not good. They are not intelligent. They can barely even attend their own damn classes. They have a roommate who's insanely brilliant, who has no idea how he got paired with these dipshits. And uh, I love the juxtaposition. And, and what is it? Uh, uh, Sanford or, or Dell? Now, Sanford has a sister there who is a drunken idiot as well. So basically, you're watching the dumbest. It, it's, I think it's trying to recapture the magic of uh, Beavis and Butthead with the smart roommate being basically their Daria. Almost somewhat, yeah. Honestly. Honestly, I mean, as much as I like Brian Posehn, he's like uh, one of the uh, main characters. Again, I, I just thought like some of the humor, it seemed like they were trying a little too hard, except like when the parents are around. Yeah. And they were dumping off their son. They're like, he's going to, it's like, don't worry, he's going to be gone for a few months. It's like, I know. Brian Posehn's in another cartoon um, around the same time called Mission Hill, which is way, way better. And I'm going to show that to you later down the road. Um, maybe my favorite cartoon. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. Mission Hill. I think sounds awfully familiar. I'll have to. I'll have to look into it when, uh, whenever I get the chance. But I just loved how the parents were just like in. Um, oh god. What's his name? The tall, big, goofy one. Uh, well, Dell. Dell's the, the big one, and Sanford's the one with the squinty eyes. Uh, by the yeah. way, I want to say this. Sanford is voiced by Brian Dunkelman. Nobody really knows who Brian Dunkelman is, even though there was a, a point in time where he would have been so insanely fucking rich. That he would have been able to stab people in the streets and then pay, just pay the witnesses off. Uh, Brian Dunkelman was the original co-host of American Idol. And then season two, he was nowhere to be found and no one's heard of him since. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and what's, what's the idiot? What's the other idiot on that show? The one that's been on there forever and ever and ever. Took over... Uh, uh, Ryan Seacrest. Ryan Seacrest, yeah. So Ryan Seacrest was chosen in season two to be the only host. And uh, I actually uh, I, I met Ryan Seacrest for a split second at my chiropractor back when I lived in California, and I was like, oh, hi, I don't, I should be wowed, but I'm just like I don't like you, so I'm gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I hear he's kind of a dick off the scene. Yeah, probably he probably is. Uh, created by two guys from Family Guy. Um, also, uh, they created Border Town, which was on Fox, I believe, for just about the same amount of time, a couple years ago, 13 episodes. I know. Shoot, I'm, I kind of wish they would bring Border Town back. I actually, I actually Did you like it? it? Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. Still. Uh, but this, I mean, it was like it was a, bl a perfect blend of Simpsons and Family Guy. Uh, I, I liked uh, Hank Azaria as the main character. It's like playing on the stereotypes of the, these, the you know, ignorant racist uh, border patrol agent who always gets keeps getting outsmarted, 
And it, yeah, it also had a little blend of uh, Looney Tunes in there as well. Okay, so it's kind of like the um, the modern day uh, Go Go Gophers. Pretty much, yeah. Can I tell you that um, you know Andrew, who does video night with me, he lives in a border town, and he says no one has any problems with the uh, the, the Mexicans at all. And yet, it's just it's, it's people who don't live around anybody Latino or Latina um, that is afraid of them. So you know, people in Kentucky, <laughs> Missouri, <laughs> North Dakota. Oh jeez, man. Oh, but yeah, no. Um, yeah. As far as this show went, I. Oh gosh, there's something I was. Oh god. I Your brain did it fall out. I, I'll pick it up for you. Hold on. Let me just. Uh, I'll mail it to you. I apologize. I like. Yeah, no, it's okay. Just a slight chunk, you know, just above the Abdullah Ablangada. Abdullah Ablangada. Abdullah Ablangada. All right, I think, I think we've kind of hit the end of this episode. It's shorter than usual. We're about 15 minutes shorter than usual, but uh, not much to say here. Yes, Clone High is probably the uh, best one. Galaxy High is a little bit less. It's still great. Um, I enjoy 3 South and Undergrads. Undergrads is a little frustrating, so I'm going to say uh, 3 South is a little bit better. Um, but it's also, I watch those cartoons at the time. A lot of it's uh, of the moment kind of enjoyment. Yeah, pretty much. Again, uh, I'll definitely, uh, if Galaxy High and Clone High get revived, I'm definitely watching those. Yeah. Galaxy High was definitely, again, that's like... I can see that. Galaxy High is very cinematic. But how do you, you know, you'd have to have some sort of big, big story in order to tell that, unless you want to do it as a series, which these days is feasible. In my head, 10 years ago, I would have said Legends of Tomorrow would never, ever be a weekly series. They could not afford it. And now I'm just shocked. I'm shocked they're still pushing it, honestly. Well, you don't like it? <laughs> I haven't seen anything uh, go on season one. Uh, as far as season three goes, I was like, oh, thanks. Again, they push the soap opera element a little bit, and then they just kind of—they're just kind of like going along with whatever as far as like ideas for uh, who to take on. All right, so I mean, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool that they brought in John Noble in the last season. Oh, nice. Um, so with the schedule we were talking about, now I jumped ahead big time um, because we were going to work our way through the '60s, '70s, and '80s, and now that I don't have the internet, it's a little harder. Um, so fuck that schedule. Uh, we're just going to do whatever we want. Um, next episode, I was thinking of Super Friends um, in its three iterations. Ooh. The original Super Friends, then uh, then it became Super Powers, and then Galactic Guardians. We'll discuss uh, how this, the show has changed over the, the seven years, I believe it was on. Um, it's, it's actually really enjoyable. I, I'm having a lot of fun watching it. Meanwhile, in Jacob's belly, it is gurgling. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. No, I already ate before. <laughs> and firestorm in my stomach. Um, uh, we'll take a break after that, and because uh, Jacob and I have to do a special Ghost Rider, Spirits of Vengeance, Blade, uh, Midnight Suns, a whole Halloween-oriented episode of Comics on Infinite Earths, and then we'll be back in October for our Halloween special. I'm torn on what to do. Do we watch Ray Bradbury's epic animated television film, uh, The Halloween Tree? Or do we do Scooby-Doo finally? What should we do? What should we do? Uh, you guys tell us. Let's do both. Fuck it. You know what? Let's we could. Alive. I mean, we do have two episodes in October, so maybe we could do one early October with Scooby-Doo. And then maybe a Halloween special towards the end of the month with Halloween Tree. You have to see Halloween Tree. It's, it's, it's very hard to find. 
Warner Brothers has decided to... No, it was TNT, I think. So it's Ted Turner. Um, shut down his home division. And a lot of those movies that aired on TBS and TNT are lost. But I got a oh, copy. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the Halloween tree, uh, that is a surprise. I mean, I thought it'd be on Cartoon Network like once every year. Yeah, I mean, have you seen it? I believe so, yeah. I'll have to rewatch it. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so I have been telling everybody that Back in Tunes is going to end at episode 150. Now, that's quite a bit off. I'm getting nervous, and I kind of don't want to now. I wanted to move on to a new show, and you and I talked about it. But I looked at the numbers <laughs> for the show, and the numbers have doubled in the last three months since we announced that we're ending the show. So I don't know what to do. I'm torn. Um, we'll discuss it off oh, air, yeah. but I'm thinking maybe not as a regular series that we can just do specials, like once every three months, you know, something like that. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Or we just spread this 150 episode uh, out. I don't know. I think we're at episode <laughs> 134 right now, 135. Yeah, screw it. Might as well. Let's just go with that route. Okay. Because <laughs> rushing them also is really, really hard for us to get all those cartoons out. And we were going to try to finish by March 1st, which is when we started it five years ago. And I don't I don't see that happening. We would have to just panic, just do an episode every week almost. And I just don't that is, if it's, I don't want this to be a, a job, a chore, because uh, we're not getting any money for it. But if you want to send us any money, we have a GoFundMe for Retro Rocket Entertainment, which is my company that runs all these podcasts. Hint, 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 hint. You still there? Did I yeah, see? I'm still here. Oh, I thought I hung up on you, Wax. I moved the box and I thought I pulled the cord. Um, okay, everybody, check us out on Twitter under Retro Rocket Entertainment. Check us out on Facebook under the same thing or Back in Tunes, which you'll find all our episodes there for this show and our comics uh, podcast, Comics on Infinite Earths. And uh, everybody be excellent to each other. And Jacob, set us out. All right. Namaste and good luck, my friends. We'll see you all next time. Same. No, no, no. I can't say that. We'll no, we'll get, we'll get sued. We'll get sued. Yeah. Same time. <laughs> same uh, cat channel. Same cat place. I don't know what to do. I'm freaking out. Welcome to Comics on Infinite Earths. This episode, we'll be discussing Infinite Crisis. I'm Michael, your host, and my co-host, and the co-creator of this show. How's it going, William? Oh, very good. Hey there. Okay, so it's the 10th anniversary of Infinite Crisis, and I thought it was perfect to do this with you because our very first episode was the uh, <laughs> the uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is hence the title of this podcast, and also this is a direct <laughs> sequel to that series. And I thought, who else to discuss mm -hmm. this with but you? Yes. Uh, and I think I might have more interesting things to say this time. <laughs> I feel like I just kind of, yeah, I felt like I just kind of crapped on Crisis uh, when we did that. But <laughs> Well, it was still early in the podcast game for you. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, but also that story kind of just threw me off, I think. It just, there were too many, like, new things introduced in the storyline 
And I was just kind of like, what's going on? What's an anti-monitor? What, <laughs> what the hell is all this? Yeah, but it's, uh, it's absolutely crucial that you read that one before you read this one, or most of this won't make sense. Yes, that's very true. And I think that is why I liked this. I really enjoyed this. It was because I read Crisis, and now I was used to all these bizarre concepts, uh, like uh, what they did with all the Earths and... and uh, I don't know, the crazy Lex Luthor and the Anti-Monitor, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so here's yeah. where I went wrong in all of this. He was ready a while ago, but here's what I did, which was stupid. Since I have already read <laughs> the series, I bought it when it came out, I went and found the audiobook version. Now, the graphic audio do these uh, old-school radio play versions of all these books. And I thought, oh, hey, I'll just listen to this, and I thought it was just going to be of the seven issues for the miniseries. no. It's every single last friggin' thing that happened in the entire... <laughs> all the crossovers, every little uh, one-shot, everything is uh. included in this audiobook. It's so big that it was eight CDs. Guess what? Oof. Two different ones. Right. There's Infinite Crisis Volume 1, Infinite Crisis Volume 2. So I listened <laughs> to 16 CDs each an hour long of every single thing that happened. So uh. I may mention something that you never read <laughs> because... Ah, uh, yeah, there's nothing that missed me. Uh, just, I, saw, I read everything. <laughs> I listened to everything. Oh, uh, oh my God. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Okay, did you get that at the library? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, they, our library is really big on graphic audio, so there's a, they get a oh. They're actually a lot of fun. It's it's a full orchestra, um, tons mm -hmm. of, you know, a huge cast and everything like that, and uh, they do some DC, uh, they do a little bit of Marvel, only like four or five books we've mm -hmm. done for Marvel, most of it's DC, but then they do all these, like, uh, pulp novel kind of stuff, like The Last Gunslinger uh. and uh, The Destroyer, you remember The Destroyer, Remo Williams? Yeah. They do yeah. stuff like that, it's normally, <laughs> and those are usually like four or five CDs long, this was just epic, I mm. mean, oh my god, yeah. most of my iPod was filled with just that. <laughs> Wow. Hey, there's something I wanted to ask you about this. It, it, with those audiobooks, is, like, are, are they expanded also, I wonder? Like, do they talk more about, like, people's thoughts and motivations and things like that? Well, Crisis definitely does. Crisis on Infinite Earths uh, took it all mm -hmm. from the perspective of The Flash. Uh, it was his mm. story, and then when he dies, it switches over, I think, to Superman. But uh, it still kind of bounces back and forth because Flash can see uh, through the, the, the speed force what's going on. So it's a little confusing. But this one, um, I don't know. It seems like there's so much more that I, it's, I can't tell you what they expanded upon that was never in the comic books. Um, yeah. It's purely narrative from the author's point of view, not from any character, no first person like the first one. Mm. Um, okay. If this gives the audience any idea what happens in this miniseries, uh, I looked on the Wikipedia for this. Uh, the main characters are listed as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Alexander Luther, Superman, Superman, I can't say it, Superboy Prime, <laughs> and the rest of the DC Universe. That's what it literally says, <laughs> the rest of the DC <laughs> Universe. Everybody's in this. Oh, wow. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. So this artist, uh, I guess they said that like he's kind of like, um, oh, what's his name? George Perez. That's who did Crisis, right? Yeah. Uh, well, I think um, there's a lot of artists involved in that book. I think Jimenez, Phil Jimenez mm, is the main artist. Yeah. Yeah, I think actually George Perez did some too. I, I forgot about that. Um, but yeah, this Jimenez, I guess like he's like Perez, his big talent is he can draw just like hundreds and hundreds of characters and seem to get them all right. So 
Yeah, and yeah, the guy Jerry cool. Ordway, who was known for doing Shazam, and he did something for Image. I cannot remember what it was, but you used to have mm. it. It was an older character. He had like white hair, but he was like oh. Superman. Yeah, Wildstar. That's, that's was it, it was. Wildstar? Is that what Jerry Ordway did? Oh, then what am I thinking uh, of? Is there a Supreme? <laughs> is there a character called Supreme? Um, oh, yeah. But um, trying to think. Rob LaField, he either started Supreme or took it over. Oh, okay. Uh, so I don't I know. thought that was Jerry Ordway, but you're right. I believe, yeah, you're right. Wildstar is actually he, pretty entertaining. No one talks about that mm, anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, okay. So this series, what's your, I don't know, where do you want to go with this? Holy shit, everything. <laughs> everything happens in this. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah. this is weird. I feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen. This is seven <laughs> issues, but what it feels like is when you take, you know how, like, um, what was it, uh, uh, Serenity, the movie Serenity, felt like an entire mm. season of Firefly compressed down to two hours. <laughs> it worked. But... This feels mm-hmm. like three seasons, maybe four seasons of a TV series compressed into a two-hour movie. There's so much going mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Very true. Uh, really, this probably could have worked as a much longer thing, like like maybe 52 or something, you know? Yeah, really that done would have been a much better 40 idea. Or 50. Yeah. Hmm. So let's start off with um, the countdown to Infinite okay. Crisis. Did you read the prequel? Um. Well, it depends on what you mean. What I read was, uh, I think I read three of the Infinite... Oh, wait. I read two Countdown to Infinite Crisis series. Um, One was Crisis of Conscience. Um, Another was uh, the Rand Thanagar War. Okay. Actually, I'm not quite done with that. But, uh, and then I also... Yeah. Sorry, there was an 80-page special that was given out for, like, dirt cheap at the time. And on the front, it has Batman holding someone in his hands that has died. Have you read that one where Blue Beetle mm. died? Oh, no, I don't think so. Okay. okay. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, I have it. I just realized I have it somewhere. But no, I don't think I, <laughs> I, don't think I read it. I didn't think about it. It's, it's his um, shiny moment. I'm, I'm a huge Ted Cord Blue Beetle fan. And uh, mm. it's all about him doing this investigation, trying to find out what Maxwell Lord is up to. And uh, when he finds out, he's killed. And Oh, it's this big shocking moment because you take this guy who's always been kind of considered like a C-level Batman, um, mm-hmm. but with a lot of heart, even though he's a goofball, he's got a lot of heart, and then he did a serious thing and he gets killed for it, and I was just devastated. Mm. I'm still bugged, but I want Ted Cord back. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't know about big. that. What's that? Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, they were just, they were huge for me. Mm. Yeah, I, I loved Booster Gold uh, in the beginning, and then I kind of lost track of him around like issue 15 or 20 of his series but yeah i liked him okay and i'm sorry uh, i interrupted you earlier what were you going to say about the countdown oh uh, i think i was just going to say that i also read uh the crossover world without a justice league um although i, I could swear that barely seems to take place during infinite crisis it more uh i think it kind of takes place before it to be honest I do so, hate those. I those ones that will label yeah. that it's a part of a miniseries, and then you read it, and you uh-huh. go, yeah, like one page. What? That was a <laughs> ripoff. You, you conned me. Like the Secret Wars. Remember they used to do that, and all the mm. shows them returning? And you're like, no, no. Give me back mm-hmm. my money. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that that's pretty much all I've read. So um, after that, Wonder Woman, uh, Batman, and Superman face off against Maxwell Lord, who is using his mind control abilities over Superman. He's kind of basically destroy Superman or Batman he's gonna snap his neck and in turn Wonder Woman decides well it's either 
let Superman kill Batman or I have to kill Max Old Lord. And on live television, mm. she kills him. And that's all. This, these are the two major events that happened before uh, Infinite Crisis launches. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know that's how that happened. I've, I see it referenced quite a bit in these various series. Um, but so really, it sounds like she did the right thing. So that sucks that like everybody, I don't know, can't stand her now. Yeah, it's, it's kind of stupid. Um, here's my yeah. problem with comic books is the Joker has killed how many people? How many would you guess? <laughs> it's in the thousands, literally, oh. easily, easily oh, in yeah. the thousands by now. And yet Batman yeah. keeps letting him live. And he's mentally <laughs> ill, but it's not like he... It's not like the same way it is with Two-Face, where Two-Face kind of just lost it after his face got scarred and his mind cracked. This guy is just a sociopathic murderer. There's no redemption. There's never going to be a day where Joker is a mm-hmm. good guy. And he mm-hmm. lets him live every single time! <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and who, who else do they get mad at here? Oh, I'm thinking of the Crisis of Conscience, which which partly leads up to this, where, you know, they kill... Um, or no... They don't kill anybody. They just, like, wipe their minds a little bit. And yeah. Batman just completely loses his shit. Doesn't want to be, have anything to do with the JLA anymore. So he, like, he's he's almost an adversary in Infinite Crisis because he doesn't want to get involved or, or whatever. Um, but once again, it really seemed like they did the right thing because otherwise they were going to kill all of their families. Right. Uh, now, did you read the prequel? Yeah. There's a, okay, so there's four crises total. There's Infinite Crisis. <laughs> sorry, there's... Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is the first one from 85. Then 2004, there's Identity Crisis. Now, have you read that one? I didn't read that, but I read... It's almost a two-parter, and I read the second part called Crisis of Conscience. Yeah. Uh, and that one's about yeah. the, the core seven Justice League members who decide to mind-wipe Dr. Light after he does a horrific act. And then they start mm-hmm. mind-wiping more people, and, and they end up using... Uh, uh, Zatanna's powers on Batman to erase like 10 minutes of his memory and that's what you're talking about what leads up to Crisis of Conscience yeah oh no I just realized I did read Identity Crisis but it's been like five about five years yeah, but yeah I did read it uh, now it I'm good. doing these episodes out of order I am doing Identity Crisis <laughs> with someone else it's just we didn't get around to it in time <sighs> so I'm probably going to end up airing this I don't know if I should just air this and wait you know, like, <laughs> do that one first and post know. that, and then post this one afterwards. I don't know. If you're listening to this, you're mm. very confused. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Sorry, that, that all that stuff leads up to this major event. But here's the weird thing is, mm-hmm. it could have been just one major storyline. It could have easily been about Superboy Prime, uh, Superman 2, which I don't think he's ever referred to as Superman 2 in the comics. It's only in the audiobook because mm. in order to tell the difference, they have to say that. Uh, yeah. And Alexander Luther wanting to come back to our world, or you know that world, you know the world that we know of, DC Universe, which has become dark and mm-hmm. super complex, and they want to create paradise. They want to fix these problems. That would have been yeah. a story all by itself. I don't know why they threw everything else in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, that core story I thought was really, really good actually, because um, it seemed. How do I say this? Uh, it seemed much more like heartfelt and it made sense to me versus the original crisis. Um, and like the, uh, the golden age Superman just, he like, like really like tugged at my heartstrings or something like his yearning for their world and the idea that uh, they still had their morals back there, which isn't necessarily true, but like, you know, they just have this severe nostalgia for the golden age DC and I don't know. They kind of like drew me in, and I was like, "Oh, maybe they're right. Yeah, let's get rid of this new one." I, mean, I had no idea like how messed up these people were getting. 
Let's start over. Yeah, it's, so it's kind of on their side. It's it's a it's a sign of what happened pre-crisis, you know, before like you know the Frank Miller, the Alan Moore, where they made the universe more complicated and people could die, and not everybody was black and white; mm. they were gray. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some guys go bad and come back, like how Jordan did. And yet, I can see where that's coming from. It's it's kind of also a fanboy response. If you're an older reader, mm. you're used to these stories that were much more innocent and fun and creative, and uh, uh, no mm-hmm. real consequences, though. That's the problem for me. I like the dark complexity of a lot of the the last 30 years of comic books, except for that one era where everybody decided they need to have new armor. Uh, everything had to be extreme, you know? That, that I yeah. can't go without. Yeah. But no, yeah, I've liked the, the, the complex stories, too. Um, I, I'm trying to think. Um, I guess what bothers me the most uh, sometimes is when, like, the heroes make like extremely against character decisions or whatever, and like go much darker than I wanted them to. I guess like Nomad, um, when you be kind of vigilante uh, with a shotgun. Yeah, um, you know they just there's I don't know. It's like I love things like Identity Crisis, but at the same time, uh, yeah, I do kind of yearn for when it was was simpler. I guess. Now mm. this is me really throwing it out there. I don't know if this is just my idea. Okay, so I see it as this. It might be a commentary on conservatives and liberals. How they want things to be a certain way, usually an older way, uh, something from the past. But you can't really bring back the past because with all the good things, there's all these horrible things that come with it. There really is no pure and innocent era, um, especially if you weren't white and uh, straight. I mean, if you look back, people and they say, oh, I'm so nostalgic for the 50s and 60s, I guarantee you nobody who is African-American is going to go, yeah, 1960, that was a great time to be alive. (laughs) No. Uh, And I kind of feel that with the comic books, too. You can't have it um, both ways. You can't have it um, innocent fun because guess what? Most of those old stories were not very um, involving. You know, you you could just read it and you're done. You, You didn't even remember what you just read. A lot of the stories now yeah. really stick with you. Yeah, I think uh, the quality of the writing has really gone up along with how complex and sometimes dark the stories have gotten. I guess the, the two kind of go together, so we, we really shouldn't want to go back. We should want to read, like, you know, better stories. Um, another aspect of that is that they often talk about, um, like, a sense of time passing and, like, actual changes happening in the series. Like, you know, in your 50s Batman, nothing ever changed, really. It was just, you know, every issue, he kind of started over. It was sort of episodic. Um, but, like, people really do like things like The Dark Knight, where, uh, you know, Frank Miller showed an older Batman. Like, that time actually can pass, and things can really happen to these characters. And... uh you know, these stories are certainly in the, in that vein. Like, lots lots and lots of things happen, and people die all the time, and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, it's, but you know, <laughs> Superboy is so obsessed that he never gets past it. He never gets past that idea, whereas Superman slowly, you know, he's devastated he's losing Lois Lane, and she does pass away. But, he, mm-hmm. you know, he fights Superman for a little bit, then he realizes that he's getting way over his head. He's going way beyond, like, reasonable behavior. But Superboy Prime, and I don't know if it's because of his age, because sometimes when you're younger, it's hard to, you know, be wise and reasonable stuff. He's so purely on, like, 
his instinct and an adrenaline that he cannot stop himself. And he just slaughters so many people in this. I mean, stunned. One's pure, yeah. innocent character uh, with the right twist. He can keep going in this wrong direction. Boy, he, he's just, he's a hell of a villain. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really was shocked by that. I was, um, I did not know how to feel about that. That he was a hero in the in the old universe, but here, yeah, he just goes completely insane. Um, it was interesting. Uh, it was very shocking, though. Do you, Do you think uh, that was was it only for the shock, or do you think it was legitimate? Like it makes sense why he would go this. Way. Um. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, I forgot my other tack. I was gonna go with this with which, which was that. I agree that it's because he's he's younger, and uh, I think he's he's full of ego, and his thought is that he wants to be Superman. He basically wants to be the only Superman, I think, um, but he doesn't really know how to go about that. I mean, he stops short of trying to kill um, the older Superman from from Earth Two, doesn't he? Or does he attack him eventually? He ends up I forget everybody. There is a moment yeah, where he he's taking on Superboy, and he's almost got him like just beaten to a pulp. And yeah. you know, there's a sequence where he's fighting all the Flashes. He's fighting the Teen Titans. By the way, slaughters mm-hmm. half of the Teen Titans. <laughs> and one, one of them, yeah. I, I listened to the audiobook version as he goes, and he goes this for wildebeest, and his head explodes in the gush. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh this is a, a bloody mush on the ground. You're like, oh, this is horrifying. Uh, yeah. Wow, that's probably almost worse to listen to because then you have to picture it in whatever level of gore your mind yeah. wants to do with it. Yeah, he wipes out half of yeah. it, and then they take him into the speed force, but there's not enough power uh, because he's going the reverse direction, so he stops them short. And I think, if I remember correctly, nobody comes back alive except for um, Bart. And Bart has been in the, yeah. the, the speed zone for a while in the future. And he's aged, and he comes back mm-hmm. in Barry's costume, and he's the only one left. But he has no speed force left in order to get back. He just warns them, and Superboy then goes on like this massive, just like, and he finally kills Superboy. But then I think it's Superman and Superman Two, the older Superman, take him to Mogo. Is that the giant Green Lantern planet, uh, Mogo? Um, or is it Oa? Maybe it's Mogo. I'm not sure. I think Oa is just our headquarters. Um, but there, oh, I guess, yeah. they, they okay. have him near a red sun and kryptonite, which drains him all his power. Mm-hmm. Now he's a prisoner there. Yeah. And he's still plotting to get out. Yeah, I, I don't know carves, if he does. When he carves the S into his chest, mm-hmm. holy crap. That's, yeah. like mental. that's like a sinister <laughs> moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's like something you'd see at Arkham Asylum or something. Yeah, uh, but that's only one of the stories. And then we have, mm-hmm. um, now I read almost all the miniseries after this because I was crazy about this series. Um so I got the OMAC project, which the OMAC, which you and I grew up with, it was like this dude who was like half robot, half human or something like that, and he had a mohawk. Yeah, yeah, and he was always like a very uh, bit player. He had a series that started in the 70s by Kirby, um, and that's about the most popular he ever got. Like, yeah, uh, I forgot kind of about Mostly it. disappeared. Was... Yeah. <laughs> but but that series where, or that one shot where it shows where Blue Beetle's doing the uh, detective work and he finds out what's going on, is the OMAC project is being revived, but it's utilizing some sort of algorithms that triggered in like sleeper agents, and they turn into robots instantly, and they start slaughtering people, and it's just it's nuts. But you can't. It's terrible because if you kill off one of the OMACs, uh, the person inside the the robotic shell dies as well. Yeah, that's really pretty horrifying. I mean, so then the heroes are constantly having to decide like, how hard do we fight these things? Do we try to kill them or not? Which kind of reminds me, it's shades of 
what they dealt with in the original Crisis with those bizarre shadow things shadow that, say, yeah. yeah, that didn't really do anything, but then they started hurting them, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if they were trying to echo that or, or not. Maybe, I don't know if it was intentional. Jeff Jones is a guy who really, really knows his history, so he comes back sometimes mm. and will remind you of something that happened like 20 years earlier. Even if it's minor, you're like, oh my god, and then like <laughs> he'll bring it back and like slap you in the face with it. See, see, I, I brought mm. everything back around and, and reminded you how horrible this was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I don't know. How many other stories are there going on? Well, there's the Ramphanagar War. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, part part of, like, the the backstory to this is just that there's all these other problems going on throughout the universe, um, which I, I don't know. Are they, I don't know if they're just trying to make it more complicated or, or just show us that, like, our comic universe is falling apart, and so maybe they have a good point. I don't know. Uh, I thought it was unnecessary. I would have been fine reading it on its own. Uh, I actually read all the <laughs> Ram Fanagar, and I became a huge fan of Adam Strange and Captain Comet, two relatively obscure DC characters. Yeah. Oh, wait. Adam Strange and Captain Comet. I don't. I hardly remember Captain Comet, but I like Adam Strange. Uh, well, there was uh, he did launch a miniseries after this. It was called Journey into Mist. No, to space. Mm. I think it was Journey into Space. Oh. I might be wrong, but it was the first part of the comic would be about Adam Strange. The last half would be about Captain Comet. And I became a huge fan of both of them during that. I think it lasted twelve issues. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Sounds good. Uh, the one that really got me was Day of Vengeance, because out of Day of Vengeance was the new Spectre was born, and then we got the, uh, not the Justice League Dark, which what they're, is what they're calling it now, it's, um, shit, I can't remember, it's all like <laughs> the mystical creature, uh, mystical heroes of the DC Universe. Oh. It's like Blue Devil, yeah. and Ragman, and stuff like that, what is the hell, oh, Shadow Pack, Shadow Pack was a great series too. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I don't think I've even heard of that. Yeah, it seems like okay. something that you would be interested in, because you usually kind of like the darker, mm -hmm. more mystical characters. Uh, it has yeah. Blue Devil, um, yeah, Ragman, uh, what is that monkey? But Detective Chimp, Nightshade, oh. Nightmaster, and I remember Etragon being kind of part of this. Huh. Yeah, those all sound up my alley. That's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've always liked the kind of darker slash uh, vertigo kind of characters. Yeah, you should try yeah. it. Was, it was 25 issues, I think one annual, and it's called uh, Shadow Pact. And I think you can find it probably dirt cheap. Mm. Someone probably bundled it up on eBay. <laughs> it's really entertaining. Yeah. Billy Will Bill Willingham did it. He does um, Fables, I believe. Oh, Fables. Yeah. Yeah, he's good. Okay. So yeah. there's that. And then, of course, the Spectre. Um, if I remember correctly, I'm going to rewind a little bit. Uh, Hal Jordan came back to life as Green Lantern, but he was the Spectre. But by abandoning the Spectre, mm. it became like a roaming free, crazy monster on the loose no one was reining it in and somehow captain marvel and shazam were involved and shazam mm. dies and then captain marvel loses his powers see this is already too much i mean this is just <laughs> ridiculous yeah we talked about yeah just so many things going on i mean uh we could mention that like they somehow turned the anti-monitor's dead body into a new ship uh, to, to, I guess, merge the universes or something. Yeah, and didn't Superboy um, use some of his costume or something for extra power? Uh, yeah, I think he, Superboy, when he does his big unveiling, is Superboy Prime, and, uh, of course, he has armor, going back to that. Um, he says that he used, he based it on the Anti-Monitor's costume, I guess. 
His technology, I don't know, it was pretty weird. Yeah, well, and then also <laughs> Alexander Luther is trying to take the Monitor's powers and create one perfect universe where everything is pure and simple, which also has, <laughs> there's got to be some social commentary in there somewhere <laughs> about, you know, white yeah. power or something. Yeah, yeah, now, okay, so now we're getting to the heart of it, that that, that I guess, is supposed to be the main story of this, and uh, that, that he is trying to uh, not only destroy our universe, but... Um, at first he says he's just going to bring back Earth-1, I believe, and then he realizes, I think Superboy kind of gets to him, and, and he realizes that, no, he should, like, look at, the, you know, several hundred possible, or a thousand, I don't know, I guess there's thousands by the end of this, and so he's going out among all of them and trying to, like, pick and choose which parts to put together, and, um, and then he gets the night an idea... He keeps changing his mind, doesn't he? I, yeah. I think then he wants then he wants Earth One back because he sees that for some reason it's um, it's completely cleaned up. Like there's no there aren't even any humans on it, and he doesn't know why. But then he thinks, oh, I'm just gonna throw everything else that I like onto that planet. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the problem is, and I've seen it happen in real life. People who are perfectionists, who almost have an OCD <laughs> level of it has to be a certain way and there's no flexibility, they can drive themselves insane, which is what happens to two of the three people that were left in this mm. like weird oasis, I guess, post-crisis on Infinite Earths. I mean, they sat in this pocket universe for 20 years <laughs> watching our world, seeing how, seeing how dark and horrible it was getting, and mm -hmm. you know the stress of that apparently snapped in all of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't fully understand why they even did that. I, I guess they just... They didn't want to be part of regular existence, um, but they, yeah, it looks like they just kind of like shoved themselves onto like a little ship that overlooks our universe. Uh, it seemed like there was a little more to their universe, but it was hard to tell. It seemed like they did have a few planets in it or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's, it seems like there's more story <laughs> to tell than they actually did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so that's that's the main story. Him trying to accomplish that, and then everybody else. Uh, trying to stop him, and uh, we even oh my gosh, I'm looking through. We even get Doomsday again. For God's <laughs> sake! God, I'm so sick of Doomsday. <laughs> yeah, they should it should have been a one and done. By the way, have you seen Batman versus Superman yet? Yes, I did. Yeah. And what'd you think? Uh, I I guess I give it like maybe a six six to a seven. I liked it. Uh, wait, how do I say this? I think I liked what they were trying to set up, but I did not like the movie very much. Here's my thing is, first hour, first hour was amazing, talking about the ramifications of taking, you know, justice into your own hands, you know, how the politics and society works around this kind of thing. It's like, oh, can we, do we have to legalize, you know, what Superman's doing? Uh, how do we stop this? You know, all the, the politics and, and the ideas behind it all. It felt like a big espionage movie, like something that Tom Clancy would write mm. just with superheroes. And then the second hour turns into, smash, smash, boom, boom, special effects, fight, fight. Martha? Martha? Why'd you say Martha? And, you know, like... <laughs> And I was yeah. like, why is it still going? Why is this movie still... Oh, Doomsday. Okay, you look terrible. Yeah. Yeah, they ruined it with Doomsday. It, if they had just kept him out of it and just continued with the, the arc they were doing, um, maybe have Lex Luthor do something else that's amazing. Um, I don't know. It could have been a, a heck of a lot better. So. And then, of course, they had all those... Um, uh, I was going to say cut scenes, but dream sequences um, <laughs> that. that 
Yeah, that were there for no reason other than to tease things that were going to come up in future movies. Um, I don't know. I was not really a fan of that. Yeah. Some of them were cool, but I didn't like that they were they were just so what do you call that arbitrary? You know, yeah. it's just it was very clear. Yeah, okay, here we're showing you that the Flash is going to be part of a crisis later. I don't know. I don't know, but I saw, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. He, uh, there's a bit where he leads to something that would happen in the comic books, Crisis on Infinite Earths. So is that going to be the eventual Mm -hmm. end of this, I don't know, three sections of the DD universe? Because I know the next one is probably going to be taking on, like, Darkseid, you know, and then we'll turn into Crisis. Uh Will we see Anti-Monitor on the big screen? Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Because, um, on the flat, just, uh, switching for a sec here, on the Flash TV series, uh, every time that Dr. Zoom would go into his little secret room, on the screen it would say, uh, Flash disappears in crisis. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure if that meant, like, you know, our, our kind of crisis, or if that would just meant, like, a big problem happened. Yeah, I, it's um, no, I have no idea whatsoever. Yeah, and then I do know that this this season on The Flash, they're doing uh, Flashpoint, basically, um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they are going to do crisis in some form. Nice. Eventually. Now, yeah. this brings us to my favorite part of infinite crisis. Yes. The Superboy thing is amazing, but there's a weird sub story. I have no idea why they even threw this in there. <laughs> Seriously. This is a kitchen sink storyline. Uh, <laughs> they get all of the DC universe villains together, like an episode of super <laughs> friends. I wanted to see the what is it? The town, not the Temple of Doom. You remember that little headquarters on Super Friends? The one that looked all like a monster in the water, or whatever. And you had Black Manta and the oh. Joker and Lex Luthor. What was that called? Doom something. I'll look it up. Um, the 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 Society of Doom or yeah, yeah I'm not sure. Okay. But it's like that. Um, they get all these guys together. They're like, well, guess what? You know, you guys have been facing off against your arch nemesis by yourself. Let's all group together and take them out. I mean, there's a scene, yeah. uh, I don't know if it ever even happened in the comics, but in the audiobook version, uh, Aquaman is attacked by, like, everybody. Every single person that can go underwater all at once, and they basically destroy everything in its path. And I was like, holy crap, now that's how you do it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think something similar happens. I know that Atlant- Atlantis gets destroyed. Okay, yeah, um, And I think it's, yeah. Earthquake? And I think it gets, or, gets... No, hurricane? I thought it got destroyed by villains, but maybe maybe it was a disaster. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, and you know, something kind of like that happened in the original Crisis, where the Anti-Monitor was behind the scenes, like um, selling weaponry to like all the villains, and and then I think he wanted a lot of them to help him, but it seems like they they. Uh, what do you call it? They backed out or something. Yeah. I, I forget how that worked. Uh, by the way, it's a Legion hmm. of Doom. I had to look that up. That's ah. My nerd card, is. I need to hand it back in. <laughs> <laughs> Legion of Doom. Yes, and they had their own headquarters, kind of like the GLA headquarters. So it was, I don't know. That but at least funny. we didn't have to tolerate Zeke. Or what is his name? Gleek, the little monkey? <laughs> and, you know, I remember that in the Super Friends. There oh. was like characters that were like, why are you guys even here? You'll be dead in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's... Probably, I wonder how many of those kind of series, like more serious cartoon series, in that they had like superheroes and things like that. Um, how many of them had a Jar Jar Binks kind of character? Yeah, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> I think most of them did. Well, you know, on Back in yeah. Tunes, we discuss every single piece of animation, or we're trying to every single piece of animation mm. ever made. Um, I will not discuss <laughs> Strawberry Shortcake or Rainbow Bright. 
or Care Bears, <laughs> but I'm trying to get there. Uh, but there is a thing I've noticed in a lot of boy cartoons of the 80s. It's like, this is badass. This is really cool. Oh, there's the cute character. Oh, great. All right. Tolerate yeah. stupid nonsense. Uh, Orko, Cringer, you know, characters like that. Just, yep. ah, Snarf. Yep, yep. Orko and Snarf are excellent examples. I don't know why they do that. They feel like uh, some of the kids watching need that, I guess. I just... I think, uh, I think it's a terrible now, idea. Yeah, kids now are like, why? No, no, I want the real heroes. I want to <laughs> see, you know, the ones that I read yeah. in the comics. Uh, I bet that's going out of style, you know. Uh, and George Lucas was one of the last people to latch on to it with George R. Brinks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but that's, that's the last chunk of Villains United um, being a spinoff of Infinite Crisis is after this, all of those villains get together to do these major crimes but there's a small chunk um, where it's like, I think, Deadshot and Catman and about six others mm. who decide not yep. to join that group. And now they're being hunted. And that was one of my favorite. I think Gail Simone wrote it. She's an excellent writer. Um, Villains United was one of DC's shiny moments that they shit on almost immediately. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It, was that the name of the series? Yeah, Villains, Villains United. United was fantastic. And I think there was another oh, spinoff okay. of it after that. It's kind of like... If you liked uh, Suicide Squad, not the movie, the comics, uh, Villains United mm. is definitely in that that um, train of thought. Oh, you know what? No, it says Villains mm. United was only six issues. What am I thinking the spinoff was? Secret Six. Mm. That's what's called the Secret Six. Oh, okay. Hmm. Okay. Cool. Um. So I think we've covered most of the major storylines. Yeah. Not sure. I think that's pretty much it, but um, there's yeah. there's just so much to cover, and I can't believe we covered it in under 40 minutes. I was like, okay, all right, <laughs> hour four. Okay, so in this episode. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I think it's a great series, better to me than uh, the original Crisis, more poignant, uh, gave me a lot more to think about, especially like trying to decide who's decide, whose side I was on for most of the series. Yeah, I don't disagree yeah. with Wonder Woman snapping his neck, even though Batman is, like, just done with her. He, he will have nothing. <laughs> he is a very... Okay, so he beats the crap out of everybody left and right. He has no friends. Um, he's basically a sociopath who just on this side of the law. And yet he's constantly judging mm -hmm. everybody else whenever they make decisions. And it's just like, shut up, Batman. I'm actually not a huge fan of Batman anymore. I'm tired of his crap. Yeah, especially after reading these, I'm not either. But that's a good point, that, like... He's one of the most, like, violent people ever, and yet he tends to, like, judge people and stop being their friend because they're violent. I that's, know, that's right? That's pretty interesting. That's, that's a hypocrite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the aftermath, the aftermath of this is that him, Wonder Woman, and Superman kind of not really quit. Superman has no powers. Wonder Woman's like, I need a breather from all this. And Batman's like, I need to rebuild what Batman stands for. Plus, it doesn't help that Nightwing's legs, I think, are shattered and... Uh, you know, Robin's still dealing with the death of his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't have much to say about that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, other than that, there was the 52 series, which focused on, like, these really cool, like, C-level characters. The Question, Booster Gold, Animal Man, mm. you know, stuff like that. Batwoman, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. Batwoman one kind of came out of nowhere. Um, but I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed the 52. I like... My favorite thing of the DC Universe is the fact that it is uh, such a complex, rich history, and there's tons of quality C and D level characters that don't get explored very often. Yeah, that's very true. I, uh, Marvel doesn't have that quite so much. Seems like you know it's just their top echelon that gets most of the attention. 
Yeah. Every once in hmm. a blue moon, someone comes to the forefront, but it's a lot rarer. DC really likes to uh, bring out someone every once in a while and give them a, at least a 12-issue series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always felt that, like, the writing tends to be better at, at DC. Marvel tends to be more about, like, spectacle and, and I don't know, shoot-em-ups and stuff, yeah. whereas DC, you get, you get a lot of good storylines. Um, Justice Society of America is probably my favorite of all the teams uh, because it explores that history tons. I, don't say, I would say everybody on JSA is probably a and d level character or sometimes an F-level mm. character. There's some really oddball yeah. ones in there. So what are you suggesting people read? Just any of the various uh, JSA modern uh, series? Well, you know, I say the Jeff Jones run. Um, when David Goyer and Jeff Jones were writing it together, uh, it was amazing. James Robinson was bouncing in and out of that series. That first run from nineteen, I think nineteen ninety eight to two thousand six, is just the pinnacle. Mm. Everything, everything in that line was amazing. Oh, very cool. I kind of wonder, like, um, was there ever any parallels to like Watchmen? Because supposedly Watchmen was based on the old, you know, Justice Society. I wonder if they kind of like delved into, I don't know, what what it was like being superheroes way back then in yeah, the 40s they, and 50s? Yeah, they touch on that sometimes, but yeah. you know that series I was telling you about, the Young All-Stars, and uh, I think it was All-Star Squadron or something like yeah. that is the other series of that? That one's more about being an old-school hero. That was written in the 80s, ah. and I gotta tell you, the first few issues are amazing, and all of a sudden it just derails instantly. <laughs> I bought 37 issues, and I'm just like, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> Whereas what David Goyer and Jeff Jones did was not only explore the history, but they made sure to bring in a new cast. All these heroes that had kind of died off were replaced by modern counterparts. Either they were family members, like Starman was uh, uh, the son of a hero, or the powers went to somebody else. And so you got the old school and the new school, and they're teaching. It's like a, it's like a, a class. You know, it's like the, um, okay. older, the older heroes are teaching the younger heroes how to be uh, upstanding citizens, you know, and use their powers properly. Okay. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that was that was part of that. That sounds very cool. But it's not cheesy. It's, uh. I said it in a cheesy way. <laughs> Those guys, so <laughs> complex and really great villains that understood. Uh, taking out Green Lantern with a crossbow with a wooden stake in it was <laughs> genius because if anybody remembers, the original Green Lantern did not have an affliction to yellow. It was to wood, which... Yes, yes, I knew. But, uh, that, that, that is very weird, though. I'm going off a serious tangent, though. Infinite Crisis is not <laughs> for the new reader. This is somebody who knows the history pretty well, because otherwise you're going to get lost. Yep, I agree. <laughs> um, is there anything you want to plug before uh, we go? Um, see, I still have my podcast. It's called uh, Comics I Read to You, so go check that out. Uh, that's about all I'm doing. Like, I go to improv practices and, like, comedy writing workshops even though I'm, i may never actually do stand-up uh but <laughs> that's about all i'm doing so not, not much plug if i ever put out a comedy album i'm gonna call it these jokes aren't meant for you because <laughs> i get the feeling if that's i ever go up there i'm gonna be laughing at myself like oh, this is great you guys are laughing this isn't meant for you <laughs> Kind of and you're going to be making jokes about, like, Ragman and Yep, uh, really insider, just jokes, and one person will laugh, and I know that person will, like, be, like, my new friend, and everybody else is like, what are you talking about, you crackhead? <laughs> yep. Alright, well, that is it for us here. Uh, check us out on Facebook. Uh, Comics on Infinite Earths has actually kind of exploded. The last episode uh, hit 200 downloads, and we're kind of surprised. I know, in the big picture, it's not that much, but when you look at the first episode, which was at 45 downloads, 200 and then we're growing and growing 
I think it's almost time to launch a page for this podcast. But for now, check us out on Facebook under Retro Rocket Entertainment. That's the main site for all the podcasts. And um, go read some comics, people. Oh, I stole your line. I stole your line. I'm <laughs> you a did. jerk. That's uh, okay. Uh, so now I'm going to take your line and tell everybody to be excellent to each other. <laughs> uh, I don't know how I did that. I think I, I think I just subconsciously knew you were going to say that and I stole it. So whatever. Whatever works. Both are fine. And we're out of here. <laughs>